Thank you, Mayor Gray. Uh, friends, esteemed members of our town council and cherished community members, as we gather here today, we're reminded of the rich tapestry of beliefs and traditions that make our community so vibrant and unique. In this diverse assembly, we find unity in our shared commitment to the well-being and progress of our town of Castle Rock. In this moment of reflection, let us put aside matters on tonight's agenda and instead focus on the values that bind us together. Let us call upon the spirit of unity, respect, and cooperation that guides us in these endeavors. Regardless of the paths we walk in our personal lives, we come together as one community, each contributing to the mosaic of our town's shared identity. In this spirit of togetherness, let us bow our heads, close our eyes if you wish, and take a moment of silence to offer our own thoughts, prayers, or reflections according to our individual beliefs for the welfare of our community and all its residents. May our town continue to thrive as a place of opportunity, understanding, and compassion. May our leaders be guided by wisdom, empathy, and fairness as they serve the interests of all. And may our collective efforts result in a brighter and more harmonious future for generations to come. Thank you, and let us commence this council meeting with a spirit of cooperation and goodwill. Amen. Uh, this, this meeting is be, being held in a collected, connected meeting in accordance with town council electronic participation, connected hybrid meeting policy as a town clerk for roll call. Councilmember Hollingshead. Here. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Here. Councilmember Brooks. Present. Councilmember Deeds. Here. Mayor Pretend Bracken. Present. Mayor Gray. Here. All are present. Bless you. Next, please rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. I'm going to start with council comments. Um, I have two things I wanted to uh, talk about fairly quickly. Um, first is is that uh, I'm, I'm always always uh, heartened and not not disheartened uh, when I get uh, positive comments about how our council can deal with each other better and how we've been dealing with each other better, um, how we're doing respectful for our citizens. Um, respectful towards each other, and uh, that's always nice to hear. I got a, a couple of good comments the last few weeks. Um, again, with that, I mean, I, I always tell people, is, you know, uh, really try to figure out your self-reflection, um, what you can do better, what you can't do better, uh, what what you what you've done, um, maybe unto others. Um, but you know, you begin with yourself, but also be good to yourself, and uh, that way you can be better to others. Uh, next, I wanted to, to uh, just bring awareness to uh, Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Um, uh, my wife is, is um, passed and her, her breast cancer for a couple years now, and that's fantastic, but there are plenty of people out there that, that don't make it. Um, so for all those who are fighting, um, for all those who will fight, and then for all those who have fought breast cancer, um, uh, my heart goes out to all of you, and hopefully we have a great month and, and great future with, with uh, curing and, and taking care of breast cancer. And with that, Ryan Hollinshead. 
No comment tonight. Thanks. Laura Cavey. No comment this evening. Thank you. Des LaFleur. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to uh, Dave and your team and all of our staff and department heads that take the time to attend our council open house. Appreciate you guys. I know they're supposed to show up. <laughs> but I can still show gratitude. <laughs> so thank you guys and appreciate your time for another successful open house season. Max Brooks. For those that weren't here last meeting, that's just simply retribution. I got the same thing after mine. I said, I said thank you to staff. They're like, they have to show up. So I'm just, I'm just getting even. Um, I'd like to say thank you uh, to a few different people. Um, first, I'd like to say thank you to uh, constituent Bill Gernert. He reached out to me when he found out that um, there was an idea about not naming not carrying forward the Philip S. Miller name on the library. Um, he also had reached out to County Commissioner Laura Thomas. Uh, she acted very quickly, and, uh, and together we, we kind of led an effort to try to change the minds of the Library Board of Trustees uh, into carrying that name, continuing that tradition forward. Uh, I'd like to thank all of the county commissioners for showing up to the meeting. All three of them showed up. Um, you know, as much weight as I'd like to think that we can pull up here on council in a letter that we sent, I think that it was probably the presence of the county commissioners that had more of an impact. Um, so I want to thank you uh, for showing up to that. Um, and I'd like to thank the library board because in the end, they've decided to keep the Philip S. Miller name on the library. Um, so very, very happy about that. And they're going to add to his wife, um, who I believe it's either, uh, you know, there's a little discussion about what name to use because she used a couple of different names, but, but it'll carry both of their names on the library. So I'm very, very happy with that. So thank you to everybody who was involved with that. But I'd like to, I'd like to, you know, kind of look at that as a, as good governance, you know, that the constituent reaches out and then boom, we're able to like get some things in action and uh, have all the county commissioners show up. We had a lot of people from public show up and speak and it was great. So that's it. Thank you. Thank you, Max. Councilmember Dietz. Thank you, Mayor. Council. I, I too also in that time frame had an open house, District 6. I would like to thank the people that showed up, the many constituents, and uh, it's very refreshing to see all of those folks who have such a high interest in their town and how wonderfully they are taken care of by our town staff. So I do appreciate the unity and the effort on that. And I just encourage people, if you go to these things, if you see a community service you can be part of, go do it. Don't wait. There's just time to just start doing it. Go and do it. And then the last thing is, I'm gonna mention Prop HH. It's gonna be on a ballot. Um, I think most of my council members is talking to Max here. That's a big no. Do some research. It's not a win if you vote yes. That's my opinion on it. That's how I will vote. I will vote no on HH. Please do some research on it. I, I really recommend that, folks. Thank you. Thank you, Councilmember. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Also. Yeah, thank you, Mayor. Um, so, yeah, um, Councilmember Howlingshead and I are having our open house together, so we should have double the sap there, yeah. I would imagine. <laughs> um, so. If, uh, if town hall's empty, you'll know why on that day. That's on the 24th of October, uh, Tuesday. So uh, um, <clears throat> keeping with the theme, I guess, here. And, uh, and then also each, each year I've updated the Castleview 
and Douglas County football game. Um, the last two years we were bested, as in Castleview is bested by Douglas County. This year we wound up on top um, for our rival, crosstown rival game, which is, uh, there's been no event um, in terms of trouble at any one of these games. And, uh, and Councilmember Hollingshead being a principal there for, was it 15? Roughly 15 years, or vice principal for 15 years. Um, this has been a, a great rivalry. We got them this year. They won the last two, and uh, and so now the ball's in our court, if you will. So uh, fun stuff. Love it. The, the kids were awesome. The, the the energy was awesome, and the crowds were packed. So I love I love everything about it, and uh, and it was just a fun fun town event where where everybody shows. So. Um, those are my council updates, Mayor. Thank you. Thank you, Mayor Tim Bracken. And I'm sure he meant when he we, if we we won. We won as a community, right? That's what you meant. I certainly did. I meant I met the mayor one in particular. <laughs> We're going to be delivering a cup to your house soon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, moving on to uh, a proclamation, uh, Proclamation 2023-11, Proclamation for Fire Pre Prevention Week, October 4th or sorry, October 8th through the 14th of 2023. Whereas the town of Castle Rock is committed to ensuring safety and security to all the living and visiting the town, and whereas fire is a serious public safety concern, both locally and nationally, and homes are fire locations where people are at greatest risk from fire, and whereas home fires caused 2,800 civilian deaths in the United States in 2021, according to the National Fire Prevention Protection Association, and fire departments in the United States responded to 338,000 home fires. And whereas cooking is the leading cause of home fires in the United States, and fire departments responded to more, more than uh, 168,400 annual between the years of 2018 and the 2020. And the, whereas the two out of every five home fires started in the kitchen, with 31% of these resulting from unattended cooking. And whereas the more, ha more than half of the report, reported non-fatal home cooking fire injuries occurred when the victims tried to fight the fire themselves. And whereas children under five face a higher risk of non-fire burns associated with cooking than being, being burned in a, in a cooking fire, and whereas Castle Rock's residents should turn pot handles towards the back of the stove, always keep the lid on, lid nearby when cooking, and a three-foot radius for kid zone of the stove, oven, and other things that could get hot, watch um, what they heat, Set the timer reminding that what they are cooking, and whereas Castle Rock's first responders are dedicated to reducing the fire occurrence in the home and fires and, and home fire injuries throughout through prevention and protection and education, and serves to remind us to stay alert and use caution when cooking to reduce the kitchen fires. Therefore, we, the Town Council of County Castle Rock, do by hereby do hereby proclaim. October 8th through the 14th of 2023 is Fire Prevention Week throughout the town and urge all residents to check their kitchens for hazards, learn and implement safe cooking practices during Fire Protection Week 2023 and support the many public activities and efforts in Castle Rock Fire and Rescue Department. And we're supposed to recognize Chief Kroom. <laughs>
Next, we have unscheduled public appearances. This time is reserved for members of the public to make presentation to council on items or issues that are not scheduled for the agenda as a general practice. The council will not discuss or debate these items, nor will council make uh, decisions on the term on, on the items presented during this time. Rather, they, they can refer them to staff for follow-up. Comments are limited to three minutes per speaker. Time will be limited to 30 minutes total. Residents will be given the priority in the order they signed up, followed by non-residents representing Town of Castle Rock businesses, and then non-residents and then businesses outside of Town of Castle Rock as time permits. Council is also accepting public comments to be submitted online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in the public record. I do have a few people signed up to speak. Actually, one person signed up to speak for unscheduled comments. Uh, Dana Bonham. Thank you so much for um, allowing us to speak. I want to go backward a little bit to the, um, I think, the September 19 meeting when um, you all passed a resolution to uh, publicly uh, um, get behind and support the MLO bond um, for the school districts. It's my personal belief, and I think a lot of other citizens, that you as a body should not have um, entered, you shouldn't be putting your thumb on the scale um, when it comes to a ballot measure like that, especially when we have an employee of the school district, a direct employee on the town council, and spouses um, who do work for the school district. I saw Laura Cavey, who um, acted with integrity on the Verizon issue, and she recused herself from that issue. I think a couple of members should have recused themselves from the vote. I don't think it should be um, something that the town of Castle Rock does as a town body at all. I think in your individual discussions, um, certainly you can argue that. Um, I have strong beliefs on the MLO bonds. I think teachers should be making a lot more money. I just think it should be done in a different way. But regardless, I don't think the town of Castle Rock as a body um, has any business deciding to put out a statement to support one measure or another. So I would ask for a revote on that. And I think a couple of members should recuse themselves from that vote. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dana. Next, we have the town manager's report. Oh, sorry, before we go to the town manager's report, what's, is there anybody else who'd like to speak or in the audience, or if not, like anybody online? Thank you, Shannon. David? Good evening, Mayor and Council. I've just got a few items to go through this evening. I think Shannon's going to advance the, the slides. We're moving into our, our fall schedule. We do have a ribbon cutting on October the 14th for the Front Range Trail. We're going to have that out on Castle Oaks Drive. 
that's where a, a substantial portion of the the trail work was done. Uh, most recently, we also did some in the, in the far southern reaches of the community as well. It's a really great accomplishment for the the community. Um, Jeff's department has worked hard to make that a, a a priority. We've been fortunate to receive a number of grants in regards to that. <laughs> I think I've got 26 more minutes is the way I'm looking at that. So. Um, uh, lost my, my train of thought. Oh, I was talking about the trail. The trail's a great project. It's really um, a, a neat um, facility, when you, particularly when you take a look at what we've uh, been able to accomplish out there along Castle Oaks Drive. Um, we've got a lot of people that are already using it. And uh, we'll be excited to uh, celebrate there on the 14th. As uh, has already been uh, mentioned, we're uh, um, having some more open houses here in October. The, um, the one at the Grange is for Districts 1 and 3, Councilmember Hollingshead and Mayor Pro Tem Bracken on October the 24th. And then Councilmember Cavies is on October the 30th. And um, staff is always excited to go to those meetings, um, even whether they're required or not. We have a lot of really good discussion one-on-one -on -one with citizens, and I think it's, that's great to have um, th those opportunities. I think I learn a lot, and I know that the rest of staff does as well, so we're looking forward to that. Um, and then I think you've got some of these other items on your, um, on your agenda. Be sure and note the Boarding Commission Appreciation Event. Uh, we're working hard to, to get that accomplished as well, and then you see the schedule there on into November. Um, we've got some neighborhood meetings on some uh, some projects that um, are, are proceeding, and uh, Tara here in a minute is going to talk a little bit about um, some of the other development projects that are uh, working through her uh, department. Crystal Valley Shops, that's a redo of that neighborhood meeting that didn't work the first time, or the hybrid didn't work, so that's uh, that's coming back. The Alexander Way annexation um, is having um, a, uh, a fourth meeting there on the on the 16th of October, and then the Wellspring project there at the Old La Quinta Inn is having a uh, another neighborhood meeting. This is their third meeting, and then we've got a couple of other projects: the Dunkin' Donuts, and then uh, the Cantrell School is on national and state landmarks. We want to put it on the the local landmark, and you see that there. Uh, towards the end of this month as well. And then the final slide just has got some other events that are going on, already mentioned the, um, the trail ribbon cutting and then uh, we're moving into um, Halloween time. So we've got a number of events uh, there as well. The only other thing that I was gonna point to before Tara comes up and talks about development projects is that Matt Goal in our office puts together a, a report on an annual basis around budget time that uh, quantifies the volunteer utilization in the community. So when you go on the uh, agenda website, there's a memorandum that uh, Matt put together that really shows there's a lot of great volunteers in the community that do a lot of great work for the town and that we wanna not only indicate their appreciation but also point out that that's an important aspect along with our, our town budget in order to get things done. So we like to, we like to point to that on an annual basis as well. Tara's gonna walk us through some development activity highlights. 
All right, good evening. Um, so this is sort of the back on the monthly schedule. I've given an update on any new pre-applications and new quasi-judicial applications. Uh, so pre-applications, these are before a formal submittal, so they're not yet a formal application to the town. I will walk around per district. Uh, this is Councilmember Hollingshead's district. We have a pre-application for the Rock Church. Uh, they have a modular on site that had been previously used as a food bank, and they are looking to um, go through the process to formally change it over to classroom use for part of the school that they uh, are allowed to use on their property. Um, excuse me, as well as making some changes to some landscape plans. I think there's three trees that they're looking to make some changes to. Uh, in District 3, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken's district, we have a pre-application for the Arbors property. So this is located on Wolfensberger Road, uh, right uh, just northwest, excuse me, northeast of the Hillside property that's under construction right now. Uh, this pre-application is to um, put in 55 townhome units in this area and add a driveway connection to the Northern County property. I think as Wolfensberger Road gets uh, widened in that area, uh, they're looking to combine some driveway cuts on it. Um, Hillside, so this is the property under construction just to the west of what I was speaking about. Uh, they've got a pre-application in for their community amenities area, uh, multi-purpose turf area, some picnic tables, fireplace, uh, pickleball, and cornhole courts uh, are what they're proposing in that area. Uh, in the Meadows, the Meadows Town Center, we have a pre-application in for some proposed signage in this area. Uh, as you'll recall at previous discussions, uh, CRDC um, has been here and we've spoken with them about ways to uh, promote uh, the adjacent or the parking lots that are all shared parking. So how does a visitor to the Town Center know that they can park in a variety of parking lots? Um, and so they're looking at increasing signage on parking and possibly restricting no overnight parking on some of the streets. Uh, to allow patron turnover uh, that doesn't get occupied by the adjacent uh, residential uses. Um, in Councilmember LaFleur's District 4, uh, we have a pre-application for Encore. Um, they are looking at putting a parapet wall along the north edge of the uh, seventh floor parking area. Uh, so this is going through the process to understand what's required uh, to do that. Um, there's also a proposed Murphy fuel station, a gas station. This is um, on Founders Parkway, uh, just, uh, boy, my north got confused, but just, uh, just southeast of Front Street. Um, it's a property that I think is the previous, now I'm not remembering what is there. It's next to Dutch Brothers. Was it King? KFC. KFC, yeah, yep. Apologies for that. Yeah, yeah, so looking to change it to a gas station, what that process is. Um, and then we've got a pre-application off of uh, 5th Street and Valley. Uh, so Valley Road is um, uh, the southern edge here uh, off the Mimmon neighborhood, uh, surrounded mostly by residential uses in a, a church up on the hill, a proposal to do a, a Christian uh, school academy there with associated parking. And then District 5, Councilmember Brooks District. Uh, we have a pre-application for a monument sign for the Castlewood Ranch uh, entrance. Uh, this location is on the north end of, of one of the edges of Mitchell. Uh, north of it is a future development called Bella Mesa. Um, and so they're looking to put a sign in this area for the future road configuration. And Council Member Dietz's District 6, uh, we have a pre-application for core electric, uh, putting in some uh, feeder lines coming from their Citadel substation, um, which is the area shown on the west side of I-25, and then they've got um, various work along the east side. 
Uh, so again, those are not formal applications yet, but some of them will turn into formal applications. Uh, Four new formal applications since we last presented in front of you, new quasi-judicial um, ones. We have one in Councilmember LaFleur's District 4. Uh, this is for the Little School on Perry. Uh, there had been a previous submittal um, more than a year ago for this site, um, so this is a resubmittal for a site development plan would be needed uh, to convert the property. Again, this is just north of Festival Park, the red building there, uh, to convert it to a daycare uh, center in use and it will go before the design review board um, and possibly future town council meetings uh, related to some of the historic elements, I believe. Uh, so those are all um, the items I have right now. Happy to answer any questions if you have any. Any questions for Tara staff? Great, thank you. Thanks, Tara. Thank you, David. Um, next, I have the town attorney's report. Thank you, Mayor, members of City Council. Uh, I think we have one item tonight, and I think I'm going to get the uh, clicker here from uh, Shannon. Thank you, Shannon. Appreciate this. Uh, this is a, a review of a proposed bond issuance from one of our metropolitan districts, Lanterns Metropolitan District Number Three. Uh, just to let you know, uh, the uh, district's attorney, Clint Waldron is uh, online and I believe the uh, underwriter Tim Morzell from DA Davidson is in the audience in case we have any questions. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get started. Make sure I'm doing this right. Am I doing this right? Is it on? Let's see. Hey, here we go. Well, okay. It's for Great. Okay, so um, essentially under our code, section 1102.110, uh, metropolitan districts must submit their proposed financings of uh, district debt to the town for review and comment. Uh, typically, we include uh, the information, documents related to the proposed financing, uh, generally tell us about what the expected interest rate is going to be, uh, the financing costs, uh, the mill levy amount offering statement as well uh, in their presentation. All that should be attached uh, to our agenda packet tonight. Uh, and then uh, the districts uh, also must certify that the uh, proposed financing is in compliance with the district service plan and the certification in this case has also been attached uh, to the agenda. Here is a map. This is where the uh, district is located uh, you can see that the uh, district number three boundaries are in green on this map. This is the Montaigne development. Uh, it's generally located south of Crystal Valley Parkway, east of Interstate 25. It's really a master plan residential community. And uh, the, the, the uh, third phase, which is what we're talking about here, I believe is going to consist of approximately 378 uh, single-family residences in two communities, one of which is an active adult community, if I'm not mistaken. So it is correct. Uh, 55 years and over. So this is the proposal. They're going to issue uh, three series of bonds, it looks like. Uh, one is their limited tax general obligation bonds. Uh, that's approximately $6 million. Uh, 
the limited tax general obligation convertible capital appreciation bonds, uh, approximately seven and a half million, and then a subordinate issue, uh, which is approximately 3.1 million. The idea is they're going to use these bonds to finance the public improvements uh, that are authorized by the service plan to serve these two communities. A little bit about uh, the district limits. Under the service plan, there's a debt cap of $87 million, so uh, this amount is well under it. Uh, the mill levy cap is set at 63.6 mills. It's subject to future adjustments and assessed valuation. And then the maximum term of the debt mill levy is 35 years on any single property developed for residential use. So uh, if you take a look at the uh, financing plan uh, for uh, the uh, district, these maturities are going to be less than 35 years. I believe they're all 30, if I'm not mistaken. Thank you. And so uh, generally in looking at um, uh, the proposal, uh, we believe that uh, 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 there is adequate certification uh, that the uh, proposals authorized by and in compliance with the district service plan. Uh, their town staff has no objection to the proposed bond issuance and we would recommend that the district be allowed to move forward with the uh, bond issuance as proposed. Uh, I believe that's pretty much it for our presentation. Uh, so uh, if any of you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Laura Cavey. So a couple questions. Um, I guess the first question is, <clears throat> isn't there already a mill levy and, and bond debt associated with this community? Uh, I believe there is, and uh, Mr. Morzell, if you have information on that, uh, generally uh, when you have uh, metropolitan districts, I would say you generally have a district that serves uh, oftentimes each of the communities. So like if you have uh, the first phase of development, it's going to be attached to a particular district and a particular issue. Uh, this is... Uh, a, a new issue, uh, this property has not been uh, burdened yet with uh, a tax levy or debt. Uh, uh, Mr. Morzell, if you could explain a little bit more, yeah, that, I think uh, I, I won't do it justice. No, that, that is accurate. So the, the service plan governs districts one, two, and three. Districts one and two have levied a debt service mill levy and have both issued bonds. This district has not levied a debt service mill levy and has not yet issued bonds. Uh, one other question then for you. Um, in terms of public improvements, what exactly is this money going towards? I believe district council may have a more specific list. Uh, I don't know if Clint is available. Is, and I believe he's online. Can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. Can you hear us? <laughs> Is he still on? 
Are you able to hear me now? Now we are. I wonder if he, can you hear us, Clint? I can, uh, if, I'll, I'm happy to cover because I do have uh, the uh, district's uh, preliminary offering statement in front of me. Uh, as I understand it, the improvements that are gonna be financed include uh, the water system improvements for the, uh, uh, the development in, this, in these areas, uh, sanitary sewer improvements as well, uh, a storm sewer system. There are gonna be some on-site and off-site roadway improvements and trails. They're all public improvements, and I think most of these improvements will end up being dedicated to the town. Uh, if you're talking about the water system, the sewer system, uh, the uh, storm drain and the roads, uh, there may be some uh, trail improvements that will be uh, going to an HOA or, or the district may operate, but uh, most uh, everything are, are gonna be uh, uh, improvements that uh, will uh, be uh, dedicated to the town, I believe. Shouldn't, have, shouldn't this stuff have been done before? I mean, aren't there homes there? Uh, there are no homes in this area. Okay, so this is, so this is, this is like the, okay, so this is, there's nothing there. They've got to put in the water, got right. to put in the sewer. It's a blank slate. I got it. All right, thank you. Councilmember Dietz. Uh, this question for Dave or Mike. Uh, I'm looking at, and I wanted people to understand our new termination date on these things and explain exactly what that is and how that surplus fund works. I'm reading it, but I want to hear your take on that. Well, uh, honestly, this one is an older service plan. The service yeah. plan was done in 2014 originally, amended in 2018. So uh, the, the recent... Uh, improvements to a model service plan that we put in place really started uh, 2021-2022 with the uh, Dawson Trails and going forward. Well, I'm just reading the termination date. It says the bonds will terminate upon the expiration of the imposed term. Mm -hmm. So does that mean it, it is going to be 35 years cut and dry? Uh, yeah, they can't levy a tax for more than 35 okay. years right. on any single property. I just wanted to, just for that clarification, because yeah. we is did something feature. new, mm -hmm. and these are older, just wanted that clarification. These are older, but that actually is in the service plan. And then uh, I noticed in the, this particular one. In the, exactly, and then the surplus, it's like, how would they end up with a surplus? And I think that I see that it can go to 20, up to 20%. Can be drawn an event that a pledged revenue is insufficient to cover the debt? Of the mm -hmm. service, how would they end up? Can you explain some of that to me? Please? Well, I think or, uh, yeah, I might please. leave it to you. For me and everybody else that's interested. Yeah, I'm happy to. So, the way uh, we typically structure bonds is with a reserve fund and a surplus fund. Those provide added security for bond investors in the event that there's insufficient revenue available to pay debt service. In this case, we're treating the surplus fund as a surplus and reserve fund. So there's initial deposit to the surplus fund, which essentially acts as the reserve fund. And then the surplus fund will continue to fill to 20% of par through excess revenues. And that will sit there in the event of a shortfall in revenue. If there's no shortfall, that gets released upon the termination of the bonds. And it gets released as a dividend to those people who bought bonds it or goes to the debt? repaying the debt. Okay, thank you. David. Councilmember Dietz and the rest of the council, I want to make sure you understand the 35-year cap on the imposition of 
debt service mill levy can be changed, but it can only be changed, I'm just reading from the prospectus here, a majority of the board imposing the mill levy are residents of such district. It's not the developers that, that would be, that'd be controlling the district, it'd be the, the residents, and they vote in favor of refunding. As you can imagine, I, I, we don't know whether or not the, the debt's being issued at, at high interest rates or are they, are they low compared to where they're gonna be in five years or 10 years, we don't know. They're, they're higher definitely than they were just a few years ago. Mm -hmm. So if they have the opportunity at some time in the future to refund that debt at a lower interest rate, we're not, but that, that, that would extend the term of the debt, that might be in their interest, but they'd have to look at that and see. But the good news is, is that it would be residents that are paying those taxes that would be making that decision. That, so, yes. but, that, but that, definitely. We do, we do think that that, that that 35 year, in some cases we've done 40 years, is really good because that's basically the life of the infrastructure. And it's just like you don't want to have, you don't want to get a car loan for 15 years because most cars don't last that long. You want a car loan for the, the basic life of the uh, of the car. You don't really want to have an infrastructure debt that goes significantly beyond the life of the infrastructure. Thirty-five years, forty years seems to be a, a pretty good number. That can be changed, but that's only when there's a, a, a resident-controlled board that says, "Yeah, let's do a refunding," which is is appropriate as well. So I want to make sure you understand that appreciated that. That's right. And the, and the big thing about that is the residents get a chance to uh, determine their their tax future uh, in that case. Uh, and oftentimes if they're able to get a lower interest rate, then the savings may be worthwhile to extend the term. Just depends on uh, what uh, circumstances exist when they're eligible for the refunding. But that's pretty far out because I'm sure, uh, you know, it's, these things aren't gonna get refunded the next day, so. Max Brooks and Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Uh, along the same lines as the line of questioning that uh, Councilmember Cavey had, uh, you know, I, I'm on a metro district in my area, and there's one metro district for the entirety of Castlewood Ranch. Um, so I look at, at this, this has three metro districts, and this third one that we're talking about is a relatively small area. So I'm just wondering, I'm sure that over the course of years and bond issuance, you know, just like everything, business kind of changes. Can you help me understand the wisdom behind now three separate, and, and one specifically in a very small area, um, instead of going in and all at once funding the infrastructure for the entire development area instead of piece by piece? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess there's there's two reasons generally. First, it allows for a more efficient financing of that infrastructure. So, I mean, the build out we have here is close to 10, 12, 15 years, um, and it's all phased, right? So district one, that developed first, and by issuing bonds solely associated with that district, you're able to more efficiently finance just the infrastructure so it's associated with that development. Phasing it out allows you to complete that over a multi-year period without having to carry capitalized interest or interest cost over a longer period of time. The second reason for breaking it out this way is it allows you to tie the financing costs and specific infrastructure costs with specific phases. That allows District 1 to pay for District 1 costs, District 2 to pay for District 2 costs, and District 3 to pay for District 3 costs. So District 3 isn't necessarily burdened by costs associated with District 1, for example. 
Council, can you hear me? We yes. got you now. Yeah. Sorry for the audio difficulty. This is Clinton Waldron, General Counsel to the District. Um, one other response to that is that at the time that the first debt was issued, the developer of the property, Toll Brothers, did not own the District 3 parcel. So this land was owned by a third-party owner and has been taken down in phases by Toll. So the Toll has only been able to bond against and build improvements on the property it owned and just barely took down and purchased the, the property within Lanterns number three. So it could not bond against or encumber that property until it owned it, which happened as recently, I think, last week. That's good. That's a, a great answer. Thank you. Thank you. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yeah, thank you, Mayor. So, the, so yeah, Mike, we've um, I've expressed my dislike of metro districts for quite some time, uh, but I do like the limitations on on, on the district, I like that the residents get to vote on it. Um, the the folks that are in the meadows will be paying for their metro district, and their kids will be paying for it. And if they hand it down to them, if they haven't sold, their kids will be paying for it because it perpetuates itself and it keeps growing, and you never pay down the principal. So, I like I like that the structure that uh, council put into place. Uh, I think it was six years ago. And um, about the about the limitation on on the time, and so uh, I, I think that we've kind of addressed this on the front end a little bit, um, but also the questions are good. Policing the the subject is good, and figuring out what's actually happening to to, to build out infrastructure that folks can drive on the roads, and and that the folks that are already here don't have to pay for it. So um, that, that's kind of my summary and and. Uh, what I've kind of seen and been through over the last few years on council. So that's where I'm at with it. Thank you. Any more questions or comments from council? Anything further, Michael? Uh, nothing further, Mayor. Thank you. With that, we have the acceptance of the agenda. There are no changes, additions, or deletions to the agenda. A motion to accept the agenda will be presented. Will be accepted. Right. No action. Motion to accept agenda. Second. I have a first by Councilmember Cavey, a second by Councilmember LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Deeds? Yes. Mayor Portem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to the consent calendar. These items are generally routine in nature and have been previously reviewed by town council and we voted on a single motion without discussion and a member of town council may remove the item from the consent calendar. Number seven, 2023-120, resolution approving the agreement with Wilson and Company Inc. Engineering and Architects for Industrial Tributary Trail Project. And number eight, minutes 2023-18, minutes September 19th, 2023 town council meeting. I will accept the motion. So moved. Second. I have a motion by Mayor Pro Tem Bracken, a second by Councilmember LaFleur. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dee. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Advertise public hearing and discussion action items. Public comment will be um, taken on the items limited to four minutes per speaker. Council will also accept comments submitted written online at crgov.com backslash council comments by 1 p.m. today to be included in the public record. Uh, direction discussion 2023-29, introduction of the 2024 Town of Castle Rock 
proposed budget. David? Mayor and Council, I am uh, pleased to present the proposed 2024 uh, town budget. Um, this is the, the product of many weeks and months of work by uh, your staff, um, members of the, of the finance department, uh, the department heads that are, that are back there um, at the table. This is happening a little bit later than we usually have presented the, the budget, um, primarily because we're trying to kind of figure out which way the economy is going. And um, we're not, still not necessarily got any better information than what we would have usually done when we, when we did this back in July, August, and September, but we are presenting it now and uh, recommending it for your favorable consideration. Um, we want to spend just a few minutes hitting some of the highlights. The, the entire budget document, 400 pages, is on the website. We also have a, uh, a two-page summary that uh, uh, Kristen and others have, have put together that is part of the uh, budget package as, as well. This is not, how do I do this? Not doing it. Should I just go up there? There we go. Oop, no, now we're we're going way too fast. So as you know, we like to present uh, the budget to re reflect priorities. If something is not a priority, we're not recommending putting money on it. If something has been a priority for the town, that's where we're recommending putting resources. Um, there are some things that have historically not been part of our focus, so we're not funding them. Um, but when you take a look at where we are funding things, we think that these are your top priorities. If there is not congruency between what you want as a priority for this budget and for the community, it's not reflected in the budget, then this is not the budget you want to adopt. If it's something that you do agree with, then this is the direction that we want to go ahead and, and proceed with. We'll do the arrow? Okay, all right. This is our budget calendar. As you know, I've spent some time with you here in September to brief you on the proposed budget. By town law, I have the responsibility of proposing a budget. That's what you're, I'm doing this evening. Um, you will then be considering this on first reading on October the 17th, and then on second reading on November the 7th. So that's our general trajectory for consideration of, of this document. I'm not going to work. Go ahead. We budget for one year. We plan for five. You're only considering for adoption here at the next couple of meetings a annual budget, but you're also going to be considering a five-year balanced financial plan. The one thing we know about the numbers in that balanced financial plan is that they're wrong. They are estimates. Um, their estimates both on revenue and expenditures. Got a pretty good comfort level on the expenditures, although there may be some changes, um, uh, particularly as we've talked about uh, in regards to inflation. The revenue numbers are just guesses as to where we think the economy is gonna go. As you know, um, our general fund, our transportation fund are heavily sales tax dependent. 
I am a shameless shrill for more sales tax in this community. We continue to need more sales tax in order to fund our, our top priorities. Um, sales tax has slowed down. Um, we've had budgeted a 6% increase 2023 over 2022. As you all know from previous briefings, we're not gonna achieve a 6% growth. We think it's probably gonna be closer to 3%. Um, so we've had to make adjustments in this year's spending in order to uh, respond to the turndown in, in revenue. We're budgeting a 3% sales tax growth 2024 over 2023. I hope that that's not too optimistic, but we um, have some contingencies if we have to, to deal with that. But we continue to think the local economy is gonna see some level of, of growth. One of the other areas that we've had to adjust our budget is in regards to building permits. That has a very important revenue for our development services enterprise. It also has a very important revenue in regards to our impact fees and Castle Rock's waters system development charges. Historically, we've been doing about 400 single family detached building permits uh, per year, about, excuse me, about 800. Um, that's over the, over the past 20 years, it's been about 800. And in some more recent years, it's been significantly above that. Last year, we did um, a little bit over 600 single family building permits. This year, we think we're gonna be fortunate if we get close to 400. So for next year, we're budgeting 400 single family detached building permits. That has a very important consequence in regards to our ability to fund capital. The only way that we are able to do road projects like the widening of Ridge Road and Plum Creek, which are gonna be um, opened up here in, in October this year, the only way we've been able to fund those has been with impact fees, fees that have been paid for by growth. We're starting the project at four corners now. Ridge, Highway 86, Founders, Fifth Street, four corners. The way that we've been able to fund that has been with impact fees. We're going to, as you're gonna see here uh, later on, we're gonna do road work on Crowfoot Valley Road, including a traffic signal at Crowfoot and Sapphire Point. The way that we are paying for that project has been with impact fees that are paid for with growth. We've not used other resources with, a few, ex with few exceptions uh, to pay for those types of projects. The reduction in impact fee revenue means that we have less money to be able to do those type of capital projects in transportation. That's how we pay for new fire stations. That's how we pay for, for new parks. So with impact fee revenue slowing down, we're gonna have to slow down our ability to do some of those projects. And obviously the slowdown in revenue also impacts a lot of other projects as well. The next slide shows uh, how we manage our finances conservatively. That's one of your strategic priorities. It's something that's very important uh, for the community. Property tax issues have been very much discussed recently. Councilmember Dietz talked about Proposition HH that Colorado voters are gonna consider here in, in November. Property taxes are a very big issue for, um, we just we're talking about property taxes that a metropolitan district can levy. The town's property tax mill levy significantly is limited by town charter. Our property tax revenue can only grow 5.5% in any one year. So what we have historically done has seen a 
some, uh, some growth in our property tax revenue, but a decline in the town's property tax mill levy. Our property tax mill levy will, under this proposed budget, go under one mill for 2024. We can't increase it any higher because of that limitation that's in our town charter. We've reduced um, our property tax mill levy by almost 50% over the past decade. You're gonna hear some property taxing jurisdictions uh, talk about the fact that they're gonna reduce the property tax mill levy for 2024. My response to them is, look what we've done over the past several years in regards to our property tax mill levy. The property tax revenue growth in 2024 will only be about $80,000 townwide for the town. That compares to sales tax that we need to have of about $77 million townwide. Um, happy to respond to any questions as we go through this. This is a really important issue as we go through and we, we're gonna be talking a lot about property taxes. When people start getting their escrow statements from their mortgage company here towards the end of the year and after the beginning of next year, we're gonna hear a lot more about property taxes. But in this case, we are uh, reducing our property tax mill levy below one mill. For the average valued home in Castle Rock, it means about $45 to $50 a year in town property taxes. We say that all the time in this room. We try and find good ways to get that broadcast out to the community. We're gonna to continue uh, to do that. One of the other things that we've done in managing our finances conservatively is in response to what the voters directed us to do in regards to any Tabor surplus revenue. In the next slide. Is it not? Is it doing it? No. Okay, all right. Um, as you know, voters allow us to keep revenue that exceeds the Tabor cap as long as we spend that money for police, fire, and transportation purposes. Um, that is what we have been doing with the 2022 uh, Tabor surplus funds. As you will recall, last year, um, about this, actually it was in the middle, it was about the summer, we added three more police officers in addition to the four that we had budgeted in the 2022 budget um, because we had um, sufficient revenue to be able to do that. So that's one of the ways that we um, spent some of that Tabor surplus money. We also made a number of pay adjustments in both the police department and in the fire department. We started to buy apparatus, which is a fancy fire profession term for big expensive trucks um, for uh, the new fire station that we're gonna build out on Castle Oaks Drive. Um, and then we've also been spending the money on uh, transportation projects. The next slide shows an accounting of that, uh, that Tabor funding. We're also putting some of that money toward uh, the Crystal Valley Interchange project um, with the understanding and the planned budget that when we get additional development in that area, whether it's on the west side or the east side that is not otherwise paying for the Crystal Valley Interchange, they're going to have an additional exaction beyond their impact fees that will help us recoup some of that money that we have paid for in regards to Crystal Valley. So that's all set out in the budget as well as to how we account for the 2022 uh, Tabor Fund. The next slide really gets into one of, gets into our top priority, ensuring strong um, public safety for this community. 
Um, even though the budget is tight, even though sales tax is not growing at the robust levels that it was before, we made it a priority to continue to add staffing in our public safety departments. So you see three new positions in the police department, three new positions in the fire department. We're also putting money in the budget to begin the design of the new fire station out on Castle Oaks Drive, the northeastern part of the community. Uh, we've, got, we've budgeted uh, funds to uh, replace radios, and we've got additional equipment and operational costs uh, for those two departments in the budget as well. The next slide points out that the key to funding our public safety departments is sales tax and retail growth. Again, you know my two favorite words. You know that how we want to continue to grow sales tax. We need to do that in order to fund our police and fire departments. We're continuing with the Merit Step program that accelerates the growth um, in the pay bands for the police and fire departments. Those um, sworn members that are not otherwise topped out will be eligible for a 7.5% increase in their pay. You also see information there about the significant costs that the town is paying for uh, retirement, uh, the pension and other programs that we have um, in regards to our uh, sworn police and fire um, uh, individuals. Uh, we're moving all of the town's pay ranges 2%. Non-public safety employees are eligible for a raise of up to 4.5%. As already mentioned, the, the, the funding for um, Fire Station 156. The next slide is something that I think um, this community and this council can be particularly proud of. And this is how we have added staffing in our fire department and in our police department um, every year um, that I have been here since uh, the, the budget that I started creating in 2016. And then significantly what we're doing, adding three and 24 for both departments. And then we're in our five-year balanced financial plan, we're adding three in each department um, every year in that five-year period. Again, a growing community needs to make sure that we do not get behind in regards to staffing our police and fire departments. And with this plan, um, we're, we believe that we're um, not getting behind. It's not as much as either Jack or Norris would like, but it's as much as that we can stretch our budget to be able to do. And one of the ways that we are stretching our budget is, is that we're putting less money into one of our next priorities. In the next slide, we start talking about our transportation fund. And we are putting less money than we otherwise would have in our transportation fund for paving our roads. Um, we reduced the amount of sales tax money going, the previously the transportation fund received 25% of the sales tax that we received. Now they're gonna be, th this year, and now again next year, they're gonna be receiving 20% of the sales tax. That is necessary in order to get back to that earlier priority in regarding funding our police and fire departments. Doesn't mean that we're ignoring our transportation needs. Um, we're working really hard to finalize all of the necessary things that we need to do with CDOT to get the Crystal Valley Interchange under construction uh, this year. We believe we've got a good map in order to accomplish those things here, hopefully in the next uh, couple of months. We are starting the work at the Four Corners intersection. Previously mentioned the, the work that we're gonna be doing at, at Crowfoot Valley um, Road on out uh, northeast of, of Knob Cone, the, the widening and the traffic signal work there. Our PMP, our pavement maintenance program, 
It's concentrated in the West Meadows area. Uh, next year we'll have uh, projects throughout the community, but the primary emphasis is gonna be um, in that area. Um, you already know about Ridge Road in Plum Creek. We're trying to finalize that. You've authorized us to proceed with um, acquisition of right-of-way on Fifth Street. That project has gotten, um, uh, it's, a, it's a key project from, for a number of safety aspects in regards to it, but it has uh, gotten to be a, 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 um, a, an expensive project, so we're gonna uh, have to see when we're gonna be able to be budgeted to be able to do that project, but we'll at least have the right-of-way in place as well. That last line is, is again, um, it's, I'm repeating myself, but um, maybe it'll um, be something that, you, that, that we'll all remember and, and have to pay attention to. Our reduced building permits translates to less impact fee revenue and fewer capital projects. We're just gonna have to, trans, gonna have to tell people that. The next slide uh, just shows us where those projects are. Uh, you see Wolfensburger, you see Four Corners, you see Fifth Street, you see Crowfoot, and then in the next slide, point out that we're finishing up the roundabout there, Crystal Valley Parkway and Plum Creek, and then uh, the Crystal Valley Interchange remains our most important uh, uh, transportation project, or really our most important infrastructure project um, that we uh, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to get started on this fall. The next slide talks a little bit about um, some of our water issues. Uh, Mark's gonna come up and talk about uh, rates and fees here um, at the conclusion of my Presentation overall rate increase is, is 4%. There's also an increase to our system development charges. Uh, Mark studies that on an annual basis. We have built in inflation increases to our other town impact fees that are outside of, of Castle Rock Water. Um, you see some of the projects there that um, Castle Rock Water is going to be pursuing. The expansion at Plum Creek Water Purification Facility is a project that, that Mark and I think is really important. It's a project that we control. It's within Castle Rock. It's something that we have the ability to uh, increase our water treatment capacity from six million gallons a day to, to 12 million gallons a day. So it's a project that we think is really important to proceed with. You see a couple of the staff members that uh, uh, Mark is adding uh, to his department a, a SCADA position and a landscape a designer. And then also it's really important that we don't forget just fixing the existing infrastructure that we have. We talk a lot about um, adding um, infrastructure in the community, but we've got to keep um, fixing, just like we have to fix roads, we've got to fix water lines and sewer lines um, as well. And you see um, a lot of that uh, mentioned there towards the bottom of that slide. The next slide talks about um, uh, parks and recreation. We have budgeted funds to start the future sports development center. That's gonna be contingent upon some of you all's approvals and considerations in regards to the Brickyard project, but that's, it's budgeted. Um, we're gonna talk a little bit more about the fact that we have money budgeted uh, for um, almost $5 million for open space acquisition. The community survey said the citizens want more open space. And uh, we think we've got um, a, a wonderful opportunity. Jeff Brower's done a wonderful leadership job at getting us to the point where we believe we're gonna get an opportunity to acquire the Lost Canyon Ranch property. So we'll, we'll be talking about that uh, here in just a, just a minute, a little bit more. Just like we have to fix roads, just like we have to fix uh, sewer lines, we've got a number of updates and things that we're fixing in some of our uh, parks uh, department facilities. We're adding a, a staff person that's paid for with lodging tax um, 
as well for uh, some of our parks maintenance. And uh, we're increasing uh, fees at, uh, at the golf course um, as well. Keep in mind, and sometimes you get this question in the community about, well, why are we spending tax dollars at the golf course? We do not spend tax dollars at the golf course. It is purely a fee-generated operation. And when they have great weather, uh, those great people out there at the golf course do a good job and bring it in on budget. Uh, sometimes when they have not such good weather, they have to dip in a little bit into, into some fund balance, but they do not receive any tax dollars, property tax dollars, sales tax dollars. It's all based upon uh, the, the fees that, that, that golfers pay out there. The next slide um, hits up some of our other priorities as well. We continue to uh, fund our economic development and uh, downtown work. It's a, a key part of supporting economic development in the community. We also um, preserve our uh, community character with a number of important projects. The acquisition this year of Cantrell, I think, is, is, is a landmark for the community. We're going to start putting a little bit of money into that to do some rehabilitation so that our Parks and Recreation Department can continue to, to use that facility and, and, and grow in its use. And then I think we also preserve our community character by looking for open space opportunities as well. The next slide just hits up some issues that are important. Um, we are, as Councilmember Dietz has indicated, um, increasing our community grant fund uh, from 2,000 a quarter to 4,000 a quarter. You all voted uh, to do that, doing some staffing changes in the town manager's office. Um, and then, as you all know, because we've all been to the grocery store, if you want a plastic bag, you pay 10 cents. We get 60% of that revenue. We have to spend it on recycling type programs. We already do some recycling, so that's what we have built into the budget is to spend that money. We think it's gonna be about $50,000. We think it's also gonna decline over time as people don't use plastic bags anymore. They don't wanna pay for paper bags. Uh, they're starting to bring their own. So we don't really want to do a, a major program initiative there, but we are going to use that money for um, some of our recycling program. It's a, it's a small dollar amount in, in the budget, but it's, it's worthy of mention, and so I have done so. The next slide really just kind of uh, sums up. Um, so our sales tax dominance, dominance is just key. Unless we get an alternative revenue source, um, we've got to grow sales tax. And um, we've got to continue to look for opportunities to do that. And uh, we think that with the, the West Side Dawson Trails development, we'll get another burst of sales tax here later in the decade. Um, but we need to continue to look for ways to, to grow sales tax because it won't be from other uh, revenue sources, at least that we have on the books now. Um, our capital projects are going to slow down. I've already talked about that. Um, interest rates, the cost of money has slowed down. Single family. Uh, Building, so that's going to slow down some of that revenue. I also think that as we approach build out, as we don't add more entitlements in the community, um, we're also going to see a slowdown in that revenue um, as well. It's not necessarily going to be linear, but um, I think some of the days where we saw that revenue just growing year after year, um, I don't know that, that those days may be in the rearview mirror. We may have. Um, a slowdown in some of our ability to do capital projects based not only just so much about 
building, but just on lot availability um, as well in the community. Some of the lots that we have entitlements, they're just going to be difficult to build on. And I don't know that it's going to happen at the, the, same, uh, the same pace that has happened in the past. So we've got to pay attention to that. And we've probably got to have good discussions in this room about how we're going to pay for capital projects that are perhaps not as dependent upon um, development generating the revenue. And then um, we have been able to um, move forward on, on open space funding, um, but that's from fund balance. And when we talk about fund balance, that is not a reoccurring revenue source. I wish it was. It'd, it'd make being town manager an easy job, but it's not. When you spend down your savings account, it's gone. So that's what we're doing in order to take uh, th this opportunity for Lost Canyon Ranch. And it's the right thing to do, um, which brings me to the video that I want to show. Jeff um, and our uh, communications division uh, put this together. This shows the highlight. I'll just before you start it, um, Shannon. This sh it just kind of shows the highlights of that property. Some of you have not had the opportunity to get out on it. I've been out on, out on it a couple of times with the permission of the property owner. Um, but it's it's it still requires some partnerships. Um, we have a grant pending before GoCo Great Outdoors Colorado, the lottery money that will help us acquire this property. Uh, we have uh, to work out a, an arrangement with the county. We're asking the county to use some of its open space sales tax money that uh, the voters um, reauthorized last year uh, to help us um, acquire this property. And then we're also stretching our funds to be able to acquire this property as well. But in my mind, this is a, it's a great legacy for the community if we're able to do it. So this is um, a video that um, shows the possibilities of that uh, partnership. Open space is the lifeblood of our community. These areas of protected or conserved land keep our town beautiful and offer our residents a healthy dose of nature's tonic. And year after year, survey after survey, Castle Rock residents ask the town to do two things with its open space. The first is preserve and protect it. And the second is to get more of it. There aren't many large areas left for the town to secure, but there is one. So here's a formal introduction. Castle Rock, meet Lost Canyon Ranch. Sitting on the southeastern border of town, Lost Canyon Ranch is 680 acres of unmatched physical beauty, sheltering a wealth of ecologic diversity. Nestled next to some neighborhoods to the north and west, this hidden parcel is nearly untouched. 360 degrees of stunning views serve up plenty of spectacular Colorado High Plains features. Rugged rock cliffs rim several deep canyons throughout the area. Mature aspen, pine, and gamble oak trees smother the forest floor as Willow Creek winds through it. The rich, lush woodlands create a valuable habitat for wildlife like elk, bobcats, deer, and countless raptors and songbirds. 
This scenic wonderland not only creates a natural buffer for nearby neighborhoods, but it could also connect our community to another of Douglas County's unique landscapes. Lost Canyon Ranch shares its eastern border with the gorgeous and extremely popular Castlewood Canyon State Park. The work begins now to bring this amazing piece of land into the town fold. The Conservation Fund will lead the effort to acquire the property and secure the funding from regional partners to acquire Lost Canyon and preserve and protect this resource for future generations. Lost Canyon Ranch is Castle Rock. Incredible beauty featuring Colorado nature at its finest, all while preserving and advancing the unaffected character of the West. Council, that is your proposed 2024 budget. Um, happy to respond to any questions about any items here. Um, and then Mark is gonna present in regards to uh, Castle Rock Water and proposed rates and fees. But happy to respond to any questions at this time. Any questions for Dave or staff before we go to Mark? Thank you, David. And then once Mark's finished, we'll open it up for any public comment. Okay, thanks. Good evening, uh, Mayor and Council. It's great to get to go right after a video like that to talk about rates and fees, everyone's favorite topic. So I have a short two-hour presentation for you tonight, and we'll get going. Um, seriously, uh, Castle Rock Water does a rates and fees study every year. I think Dave mentioned that. And I want to point that out again. That's important to understand because finances are so important to what we do. We are a cost of service utility. We have four enterprise funds. That means that the cost of service is covered by the rates and fees paid by our customers. Um, we do an annual rates and fee study unlike most utilities which do them on a five-year basis. But because finances are so important, we do this every year. We actually bring in an outside consultant to help us with this and review what we're doing and make sure that what we're doing makes sense meets all the requirements and is good planning for the community. We then look at those rates and fees for the next five years, and so we'll be projecting out to 2028. But I also want you to know we do our financial planning out well past 2065. So um, we do have Nicole Bussey here. Her team leads this rates and fees study and obviously works very close with Trish and her team and the budget team and finance. But um, just to get started, I want to just do a quick review. I'd like to show you where we've been. So this is customer rates and fees over the last five years. And down at the bottom, you got inflation and the consumer price index. Um, it is... Um, it is the case in Castle Rock that if our cost of service goes down, we actually lower rates and fees. You can see we did that with wastewater twice over the last five years. Um, so that's important to note. System development fees are also important. Of course, these are the fees that developers pay for new development. Um, growth pays for growth with respect to water. We make sure that that happens. And here you can see the increases in system development fees over the years, pretty significant. Um, and that's in large part because the cost of the growth has gone up significantly with respect to water and getting water, as you know, from outside sources. 
So a couple of considerations and strategic things um, that I wanted to point out. As, as you guys know, growth has declined, and that's fine. Um, we have a little bit different projection, of course, because we have a few extraterritorial service areas that we do serve, and we incorporate that into our growth projections as well. But you can see here, relative to last year's plan, we're projecting a significant decrease in residential permits, and that's translating to about a $35 million decrease in revenues, which is fine. Um, but that's an important piece that we have to consider because, of course, the development is part of the long-term water plan as well as customer revenues, existing customer revenues. So a couple of things to point out. We really want to maintain our water capital plan despite this decrease in system development fees. Um, for a couple of reasons. Number one, we really want to expand our peak capacity for irrigation season because we really need to have more buffer there. And so we've come up with a plan that's going to help us do that while we've got this downturn in development. And one of those pieces is to do an annual interfund loan from wastewater to water over the next five years, which will total about $28 million on a five-year repayment basis. We have some feedback. Hello. <laughs> All right. We'll try to keep going. So um, the bottom line is wastewater has a lot less expenses right now because we're planning for the future and reserving capital for a future wastewater treatment plan expansion. So that fund has some money that we can utilize to get water through this downturn in development. We're also recommending a temporary reduction in our catastrophic failure reserve. Now, industry standard for those types of reserves is 1% to 2% of your total assets. We've held that at 2% for the last decade. What we'd like to do is lower it in water from 2% to 1% for a five-year temporary period while we go through this, allow us to build that additional peak capacity into the system. Now, I want to point out we're not going to be in trouble. We still will have about $9.8 million across all the funds in catastrophic failure reserves, which should keep us in good shape. We also want to do that in the stormwater capital plan so that we can continue to maintain the progress we're making on flood protection and other stormwater projects in town. I want to point out that in 2026, the financial plan's currently calling for about a $40 million revenue bond issuance in our water resources fund. And this is because water resources is about to really get hit hard with big capital needs that we have to fulfill. One of those being the WISE project, which we are committed to at this point and have to meet our capital needs for. In 2030, we're going to have to be building a desalinization plant with our partners, basically, and that's going to be very expensive. So we're going to need to bring in some additional revenue. The good news is we've been very financially responsible. We're in the top 25% of utilities with the lowest debt to asset ratio in the country in terms of American Water Works Association benchmarking. And even with the issuance of this additional debt, we'll still be in that top quartile with the least amount of debt. So that's a good thing. Um, the next thing I want to point out is we are going to need to use our rate revenue stabilization reserves this year, and we're actually going to have to also dig into our catastrophic failure reserves to meet the 
revenues that we have lost due to the great weather we've had. So, you know, we've almost had a historic year in rainfall. If we get another two inches, it might be a historic year for Castle Rock. Bottom line, though, that's resulted in about a three and a half to four million decline in our revenues. That's why we have a rate revenue stabilization reserve. But we only have about 1.7 million in that reserve because it's based off of 10% reduction in revenues and we've seen a larger reduction. So we're gonna to need to dig into that catastrophic failure reserve. Now it's important to note this, this rates and fees study and the budget as well has us reimbursing both of those reserve buckets every year for 2024 through 2028. So we will have those reserves available again next year if we need them. Um, we've done a comprehensive review and reduction in our operating budgets everywhere we can to try to control costs and deal with um, the challenges at hand. Um, we are planning some staffing changes going forward. Dave mentioned these, so I won't talk too much about this, but I do want you to know over the five-year period, we've got a few other things going on here um, in terms of staffing, but it's still relatively minor. Um, this just shows the overall capital spending that we've got planned through 2028. You can see some big numbers. And again, these are coming out of capital reserves that we have and revenues coming in. Now, if revenues decline further, we'll have to change this plan, obviously, and adjust to that. There are some things we can change. There are some things that we can't, like the WISE project being one of those things. Um, this just shows you some of the big projects we're talking about. I'll point you over to the Water Resources Fund, and this is why we're going to need a $40 million revenue bond. We've got the PCWPF expansion. And by the way, preliminary engineering estimates are actually coming in higher than what we have budgeted, so we may have to adjust to that as well. Um, although in November we'll be bringing a CMAR contract to you guys and hopefully we'll have a better idea on what those costs are looking like. Wise infrastructure, you can see big expenditures there. We need to start working on our pump station out of Chatfield. And then you can see Cherry Creek infrastructure, additional alluvial wells um, uh, that we need to address here in town. Um, and then, of course, as, as Dave mentioned, we've got rehabilitation. Young Americans going to be a big, important year or area for us um, coming forward in the next year or so. Um, future projects which are going to have or having an impact on rates and fees, we will need to eventually build a southern area water treatment plant in the Crystal Valley area. And then the Box Elder project is renewable water supply that we need to bring into town sometime in the 2030 to 2035 timeframe, which is also, again, a big um, cost for us. Um, so rates and fees, what, is, what are we seeing? What does it look like? I want to point out, so this is the water fund, and again, we look at each fund independently. What we're recommending is a 4.5% increase in the water fund. Um, this is what we projected last year for 2024, so nothing actually has changed relative to what we projected last year in terms of the water fund. I do want to point out we're still projecting a 4.5% year over year out to 2028 right now. You can also see system development fees. 
10% increase year over year out to 2028. And that's simply because of the cost of infrastructure and water for new development is going up and it's just going up fast. Um, when you look at the actual difference in a typical residential bill, I wanna point out it's about a dollar and some change each month um, in the water fund um, going forward. Um, wastewater, good news in wastewater. Um, like we said last year, 0% increase. We're still seeing a 0% increase and we're still projecting a 0% increase out to 2028. Although we are getting some regulatory pressure in the wastewater fund um, that may change this, I'm hopeful that we'll be able to not have that happen. We are requesting system development fee increases year over year. That's because we're gonna have to build a, an expansion of the wastewater plant in the future and growth will need to pay for that. We have to collect those funds today as the growth comes in. Stormwater, um, again, four and a half percent. Um, you can see what that equates to is about 30 to 40 cents per month um, for the stormwater fund. And then the system development fees, it's 3% in Cherry Creek and 10% in Plum Creek for the next two years, followed by 3% in the future. And that's just because we're seeing more pressure on the Plum Creek side of the watershed than the Cherry Creek watershed. All right, this is the big one. This is water resources. And what we're seeing is a 7.5% increase in water resources. And we're seeing that out through 2028. So I want to point that out. That equates to about a 2 to $3 a month change. Um, system development fees, it's 3%. But that change is pretty big. It's about $1,000 um, plus each year over year um, for development. Now, I wanna point something out here because I think in water resources, it's important for us to understand what we're trying to do here. We're trying to essentially convert our water system from a non-renewable groundwater system to a fully renewable surface water system that is relying on rain and snow instead of mining a deep, Denver Basin groundwater resource. And I wanna, I wanna remind everybody that this is not just for future growth. This is for all of our existing customers as well. We are building this renewable water system for everybody that's here today. And then of course, we're building additional systems for future people that may be here in the future. Um, how do we compare to rates and fees? I wanna point out this is our proposed 2024 20, rates and fees to current 2023 rates for our surrounding competition. Parker is always a good benchmark. You can see where we are just below Parker, for example, in our typical winter bill, and then in terms of our summer bills. And actually, excuse me, I, we've got that reversed. The one, the orange one is summer, and the blue one is winter. So we have a little mistake there in the graphs. But bottom line is, we're still competitive with other South Metro water providers, and those are the folks we're competing with in terms of renewable water systems and getting off of the Denver Basin Aquifer. Um, our system development fees compared to our competition are a little bit more in the mid to high range, 
And that's simply because we have a lot of development going on and the cost of that is very high. And so our system development fees have gone up very significantly over the last several years. I will point out, and you guys all know this, that our turf ordinance does allow the developers, if they are responsible and put in the front and backyard, they can get a significant discount on those system development fees over what you see here. Um, what does this mean in total? The bottom line is when you roll it all together and look at the actual increase to a typical customer, a residential customer is going to see about a 4% increase in their bill overall. Now, when you look at an irrigation-only customer, they're going to see a little bit higher increase because they don't have that wastewater component, which brings down the total bill. So that's what you're seeing here with the two-inch irrigation only, for example. Um, and just to wrap up, we, we did take this to Castle Rock Water Commission. We've been reviewing this with them on a monthly basis like we do every year across the whole year and very in-depth over the last several months. And they did recommend council approve this, um, but obviously we're not asking for approval tonight. So I just want to ask, answer questions, and I'm sure there's a lot. Any questions for Mark? Laura Cavey. So when you're talking about overall increases for the community, is it roughly 4% per resident total? Because I guess I got a little confused when I was looking at the different, you know, wastewater, um, you know, stormwater, they each seem to have their own different increases, right? So is the total increase for all of those buckets around that 4%? It is, but it's based on average bills. So again, it will depend, it will be customer specific depending on how much water they use, how much wastewater they use, and what the, the difference in those bills are. That's only for the variable portion, not for the fixed portion of the bills. They'll see the same increase on the fixed side. It'll just depend on how much water and how much wastewater they're using. If they use more wastewater and use less outdoor watering, they may even see a better bill impact. If they use more outdoor water, they may see a slightly worse impact. And that's, you can see that reflected here, Council Member Cavey, when you look at the irrigation only average bill comparison, you see a slightly higher increase for them. They're looking at a 5% because they don't get that wastewater component. So these, this 4% is based on total bill, total average bill. So how do you know, just because we have people here in the audience and people will come back and, and watch um, the meetings, how do you know who is only has irrigation and then, like, let's we'll just use me as an example. I live in Train. I'm in one of the, you know, the original communities long before we made any ordinance changes. I have one of the bigger lots. I have lots of grass. Mm -hmm. um, how does that, what does that look like for me. So you're going to be up near the top on a, as a three-quarter inch residential customer. That's what your customer class is, is that top customer class. So you're going to be looking at a 4% 
when you think of an average bill, unless you use an, a lot more water outdoors, then you might see something a little higher than that. And so what you see down at the bottom when you look at an irrigation-only customer, that is a customer class that only does irrigation. They don't have indoor use. They don't have sewer. And that's how you know the difference. And that's why I say you can see kind of the range of what people may see in an overall increase when you look at an irrigation-only customer versus a residential customer that has sewer, water, stormwater, the whole nine yards. Got it. One more question. So recently, just, you know, we passed the ordinance, right, where any new development can only have 500 square feet of sod in the backyard and the front yards have to be Colorado Scape. We're talking about some of these increases for peak capacity. Wasn't the whole goal to pass that ordinance so our peak capacity wasn't so big? Yes, that is that is absolutely the case with with respect to long-term development of our system. But one of the things that we have been challenged by over the last 10 years is our peak capacity. And we've been very close in terms of the amount of peak capacity we have to meet the current customer demands. And what we're really trying to do is give ourselves more buffer there so that if we have a water plant go down or a big well go down or for example, this year where we didn't get any wise water, we're still in good shape. Now this year has been a very good year because peak, peak demands were low. And so that's been great from a water standpoint, not so much from a revenue standpoint. But the concept here is to catch us up and get us in a good place with peak demand. Now over the long term, that's absolutely true that that turf ordinance is going to help prevent us from having to continue that momentum. Okay, thank you. But also then decrease in revenues. Yes, that's absolutely true. And that's an important thing to remember and something that we're also modeling because our biggest revenue source from a vari variable revenue standpoint is that outdoor watering. Any more questions for Mark or staff? Thank you. Um, David, should we um, direct up now to public comment? Yes, public comment will be appropriate in the chat. We'll come back to asking for public comment. Okay, thank you. I have no one signed to speak for public comment. Is there anyone wishes to speak? Please approach the podium and speak in a microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call express star three. And please state your name and whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner, you have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, bring back to town council for further discussion on a possible motion on direction. Max Brooks. I just have something that I'd like to point out that uh, the back, you know, one slide, uh, just in case anybody uh, in the public has any uh, any concerns about potential lack of queries and, you know, and, and questions that we have from council, I think it's important to look at the far left side of this just to understand that, um, that town manager, uh, staff, uh, you know, we've already met 
and gone through a lot of individual briefings, kind of met one-on-one -on -one to get uh, an overlay of this presentation, and we were able to ask a lot of questions during that time. So I just don't want to make it seem like there's a lack of engagement because a lot of our questions have already been answered in those kind of one-on-one -on -one sessions. I just want to point that out. No, that's a good point, Max. I mean, we start this in, in early, late spring, so yeah, we're, we're pretty well read on it. So thank you. Um, so there's no further discussion. Is there a motion? I move to direct staff to prepare the 2024 budget ordinances for first reading as recommended by staff. Second. second. First by Laura Cavey, a second by Councilmember Dietz. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to number 10, um, identification 2023-108, presentation on 2024 service contract funding request. David? Mayor and Council, as part of your 2024 budget consideration, you now consider the requests from what we call our service contract uh, providers. It's kind of a bureaucratic phrase for some really great work that is done in the community and we're very appreciative of, of that work. Um, traditionally, town council has decided these dollar amounts and I don't necessarily make a recommendation in regards to uh, these funds. Um, these dollar amounts have been put in the draft uh, budget, but council decides the appropriate funding level. So you see here uh, the various groups that are making the uh, requests for 2024, what they were funded in 2023, and then the source of that funding, whether it's from the general fund, whether it's our economic development fund, which is the uh, commercial use tax, the sales tax on construction materials for commercial uh, projects, the general fund, the Philip S. Miller Trust Fund, and then uh, some money in our, in our transportation fund there when the Senior Center does their, their great work in regards to the, uh, the senior uh, 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 transportation van pool. Uh, work that they that they do. So that's that's the um, the set out of all the different requests, and then merits then appropriate to um, call on the various groups to uh, uh, make presentations, and then you all to ask questions as as appropriate. And then towards the end, if you want to direct me on how to proceed, then I'll, I'll take that direction. Thank you, David. Uh, first up, I had uh, Castle Rock Chamber of Commerce. Hi, good evening, Mayor and Town Council. I'm Stacy Garman. I'm the President and CEO of the Castle Rock Chamber. Thank you for having us here. Um, as you all know, this is my first year here. Um, towards uh, the beginning of December, I will be in this position for one year. So I really enjoyed learning a lot about Castle Rock, the different uh, people that live here, the residents, the community, the business owners, and also just, I really have felt the love that everyone feels for Castle Rock. So, um, as we all know, strong chambers and strong communities walked hand in hand. I wanted to remind you of the mission of the chamber to support and promote businesses within our community. 
to educate and develop leaders in the community, to be the voice of business as we advocate on behalf of business, and to contribute to the growth and livability in our community. So the, the chamber hosts three different community events that the town supports, Art Fest, the Douglas County Fair Parade, and Starlighting. Uh, this year, both Art Fest and the Fair Parade were a huge success. Uh, Art Fest brought in over 10,000 attendees over the two days of the event, and the Fair Parade brought in the whole community to begin the weekend of the Douglas County Fair and Rodeo. So I'm looking forward to starlighting. This will be my first starlighting event. I actually came to Castle Rock the week after the event, so looking forward to that. The Chamber also hosts many networking events for our businesses and also um, a women's um, event group as well. One of the main strategic initiatives of the Chamber is talent development. So that focuses on uh, workforce. And as you can see, the Chamber is very enmeshed in the talent development area. So we um, host Accelerate Professional Development Seminars. Uh, we have formed a healthcare collaborative task force where all of our healthcare um, industry partners um, work together. We also started the Tours for Teachers program in 2022, and you can see that is a program where education and business come together so um, our businesses can uh, address the education and how they are preparing the students for our workforce. That is with um, Douglas County School District and also with our uh, community colleges. Leadership Douglas County is um, also in its 25th year this year. The new class started in September. We have over 400 um, participants that have graduated from that program. So that's important for the leadership development in Castle Rock. One of the newest programs that we launched this year is NextGen Young Professionals. So uh, we currently have um, over 60 registered for that program, and I would say about 80% of those in that program have not been engaged with the chamber. They're not members, they're just young professionals in our community that we're trying to bring together um, to make those connections. We have four events that we've planned in the fall, and uh, those are going really well, uh, well attended with over 40 people at each one. So um, the other um, thing I wanted to mention um, that the Chamber is doing for our uh, community marketing um, and for the town of Castle Rock. The Chamber is home to the Castle Rock Visitor Center. We greet new residents and also connect with current residents and uh, talk all things Castle Rock. So um, in 2024, we are going to be revamping the Visitor Center and also the Visit Castle Rock website. Um, this is a great place for all businesses in the community to um, connect with um, residents. Um, to be showcased. Um, they're also allowed to um, post their events um, there. So it's a great place for nonprofits to have a space to um, promote their individual events. <laughs> We are proud to partner with the uh, Castle Rock Economic pa Partnership with the Town EDC Downtown Alliance. Uh, that's con really contributed a lot to the success of our community. I'd also like to recognize the Castle Rock PD and FD. 
two for two. I know. <laughs> Are there any questions or Do you want to add something comments? real quick or not? You're good? Do I want to? Do you need to add anything or are you ready to? No, that's good. We're just okay. looking forward to it. Yeah. Any questions for Stacy mm -hmm. right now? Laura Cavey? Yeah. So besides the money that you get from the town, what other ways do you garner revenue? Yes, yeah, so we have sponsorships and memberships. So it's dues revenue and non-dues revenue as well. Um, in 2024, we're going to be seeking um, grants to help support some of our leadership programs as well. And just one other question on that. Mm -hmm. What percentage of the money that comes from the town is the total percent of your budget? Meaning is what we give you 50%, 80%, 20%? It's about 12% of our budget. Thank you. You're welcome. Any more questions for Stacey or Chamber? Thank you, Stacey. All right, thanks. Next we have the downtown, Castle Rock Downtown Alliance. Well, good evening, Honorable Mayor and members of Town Council. My name is Kevin Tilson. I'm the director of the Castle Rock Downtown Alliance. And um, as you know, but for the members of the public, we're a partnership between two organizations, the Downtown Development Authority and the Downtown Merchants Association. And tonight I will be presenting our service contract request for 2024 for the Castle Rock Downtown Development Authority. Um, as you know, we are a governmental organization that is very linked at the hip with the, the town of Castle Rock, even in the structure laid out in statute. It talks about the partnership between the town and the DDA. We believe that downtowns require investment in strategic planning, and we go about implementing that by following a plan of development that was given to us by town council and the community. That plan of development calls for us to activate downtown with a number of efforts. Um, one of the ways that we try to accomplish the goals in the plan of development is with some of our programs. I have several of those listed here. We also have been very successful in partnership with the town of Castle Rock in implementing projects that accomplish the goals laid out in the plan of development. And that inclu includes both public and private projects in downtown Castle Rock. Specifically looking at our programs and looking at 2023, um, we have a handful of programs. Several of those programs focus on placemaking and beautification, like our patio program and our flower box program. Um, we also have programs that encourage the private sector to invest in their buildings. The visible exterior facades of downtown buildings, our facade improvement program helps to encourage that type of investment and matches some of those dollars that they invest in the community. And then following the direction from this town council to specifically encourage smaller scale development. Last year at the end of the year, we implemented the downtown, or we um, began the downtown enhancement grant program that focuses on smaller scale development in downtown Castle Rock. When you talk about value to the town of Castle Rock, um, we believe and we hope you'll agree that we provide tremendous value. Um, I believe that is one of the reasons why the town of Castle Rock, specifically the town council, implemented a significant marketing campaign to support the creation of the DDA. Um, this slide shows all of the projects that the downtown special fund has put dollars towards. So all of these dollar amounts came from the downtown special fund. That's the statutory term for it, downtown special fund. It represents the increment generated from property and sales tax in the downtown district. 
And when you look at these dollar amounts, these are dollar amounts that reduce the burden from the town general fund or other sources that the town might have to fund if they wanted to take on these efforts. Um, specifically, I would point out the significant investment that has occurred in public parking over the last handful of years including the most recent lease with the Douglas County School District to add an additional 55 parking spaces in downtown Castle Rock, and that is an annual number there when you look at that $33,000 for our lease. The town mill levy match, um, you, you know, I mentioned that years ago in 2008 with the creation of the DDA, the town put forth a significant marketing campaign. Here are several of those postcards that were mailed to the taxpayers in the downtown district. Um, you'll see that I've specifically underlined and I've highlighted at the bottom here the promise from the town to match those taxpayer dollars if they voted to tax themselves. And I think that's um, why we have such a great win-win relationship and a partnership because both entities are putting dollars for a common good. Um, when we talk about downtown projects, we are not the group that uh, sets the town code, sets the height requirements in downtown or the town zoning. We are the group that hopefully on your behalf and in partnership with you, tries to make those projects better, focusing on the items that I have here on this screen. And, and lastly here, I would uh, wrap up and, and ask all of you, how is success divined in downtown? Um, I would certainly encourage feedback from all of you on the directions that the DDA should take in downtown. I would even say constant feedback. If you wanted to meet throughout the year, which I think many of you do, um, we, we want to continue a dialogue about downtown because we think it's a very important component of the community. I'd be happy to answer any questions uh, related to the DDA service contract for 2024. Okay, Kevin, any questions for Kevin? Laura Cavey? Do you have anything that you're planning for 2024 in terms of parking? I mean, obviously that has come up in the survey. Um, I can tell you I felt it myself coming down here any number of nights. doesn't really seem to matter whether it's Wednesday night, Saturday night. Yeah. Um, I know there's been discussions about maybe doing something, you know, with the Douglas County school parking lot, but above and beyond that, what else are you guys looking at in terms of what we can do for parking downtown? Sure, I think that's a great question. You know, um, through the years as opportunities have, have come to us, typically it's been private sector, but sometimes it's initiated by us in the town. Um, I, I would say that's the number one thing that we have asked developers to do above and beyond what the town code requires. Um, so for example, when the Riverwalk project was proposed, we came to the town and said, we actually think that the parking requirements in downtown should be greater. And as a part of the redevelopment agreement, we proposed that they add additional parking. Um, because parking is so expensive, um, and historically, the town and the DDA have not sought to go purchase property and build our own standalone structure, but instead benefit from the economies of scale of other projects. It's been somewhat reactive, but it's typically the very first question that we ask when somebody comes to us and proposes some type of project in downtown. I, I do think that there are opportunities in certain places in downtown that we could pursue, but, but it likely would require a partnership. Um, we're certainly excited about what the Douglas County Library has recently done. So 
we've had an ongoing conversation with the Douglas County Library with their expansion in downtown, which we think they did a great job with. Um, they added 80 additional spaces in their parking lot alone from what they previously had. Um, I think when you start to look long term, um, you, you would look for lots like that and do similar things to what the town and DDA did with their parking lot. So at some point, a large parking lot could present an opportunity to build up. And I, I think that that's certainly something that we should look at, um, but it's not property that we currently own. Thank you. Uh, Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yeah, Kevin, don't, don't forget that um, we've been in discussions uh, DDA has been in discussions with the uh, county commissioners to perhaps utilize their parking structure and making it public since they have excess right now. So um, that's always an option that we've talked about at some of the meetings and, um, and then yeah. the, um, the view project as well with the 100 spaces as well. So, Absolutely. And no, assessing that back lot behind Pegasus. We've had ongoing discussions with Douglas County. Um, they've been an amazing partner. It was probably the first large investment that occurred in downtown, and the town really had a leadership role. They invested a million four in the Douglas County parking garage so that they could own that first floor. And since then, the county has only opened up more of that garage to the public. So now on weekends, it used to be just events, but now on weekends, through our discussions with Douglas County, they opened that um, parking garage entirely. So it includes what the county owns for county employees, but they open it on weekends um, for the public to use. Um, yes, yeah, so Councilmember Bracken is, is absolutely right. We've, we've looked at a number of those kind of low-hanging fruit opportunities. Laura Cavey. Um. I don't know that the public knows that all those things are available, right? I just mm -hmm. now learned something new. I didn't know Douglas County was now opening those parking spaces holistically on the weekends. Um, is there a way, I know you and I, and I'm sure you've talked to the rest of council, you know, we're talking about wayfinding signs, things yeah. of that nature. Would there be some ability there to let people know I mean mm -hmm. oh Dave David yeah you both respond um, Kevin's been part of the wayfinding uh, program that the uh, public works department has been working on in the downtown we hired a consultant had a number of public meetings we'll be bringing that plan back to council one of the key issues is going to be how we fund it um, because um, we've already talked about the transportation fund not necessarily being robust with revenue, so we may need to look at the DDA special fund to, have to, to fund that, maybe we implement it over time, which you're absolutely correct, because there, um, there's a lot of people, I have, I've had discussions in some of the open houses about parking downtown, and I start rattling off parking spaces, and I get the, the, the look like, I don't know what you're talking about, and um, we've got to find a, a better way so that it isn't just one-on-one -on -one conversations that there's signage to direct people to some of the the, the parking opportunities. But Ke Kevin and, and, and town staff have done, I think, a good job of trying to look for low-hanging fruit that that is not $40,000 of space as a the, the cost of a parking garage, but, but, but to use either existing 
surface parking or um, existing parking garage with, uh, with with the county. And I think we can the combination of additional signage and, and other spaces can help us. But I also think you're correct. We're going to have to look at and Kevin and I've had these discussions longer term parking. Successful downtowns have parking challenges. We're increasingly having a successful downtown. We're going to increasingly have parking challenges, and we need to stay ahead of it. So I think that's a scenario. But hopefully that wayfinding plan that's going to be coming out of public works here in the next few weeks and months will be accepted by you all, and then we'll have to look at how we're going to be able to fund it. Because it's not... It's going to be pretty hard. It's not inexpensive to do that, and I hate to take that money away from you know fixing potholes. So we may need to look at the special fund to be able to, to do that. And to need to, oh, I'm sorry, just not to diminish the the wayfinding point because I think that's important. That's somewhat reactive. I think that there probably could be some proactive just with the outreach, regular communication the town has through the mailings and things like that, because then that allows people to know about it ahead of time and, and plan accordingly. And just to pick up on that, Kevin and I have had this discussion a lot. One of the things we need to do is we need to work with downtown employers to encourage them to have their employees to park in places that are not immediately in front of the businesses and those kinds of things. We have, we have that challenge as well. The only thing I would add, um, I think it was last year, the town and DDA added a, a lit sign on that Douglas County parking garage, kind of with a big arrow, big sign showing that that is public parking because I think a lot of people didn't know. Um, the town also maintains a parking map updated on their website. You have to seek it out. Um, you know, I, I had sent an email several years ago over to Public Works and, and thought we had a brilliant idea that we would get a parking sign on Wilcox. So if you were driving north or you were driving south on Wilcox when you got to 3rd Street, you know, there would be a big sign with an arrow that pointed to the parking garage, and um, Public Works emailed me back and said it's already there. Um, I had driven by it my entire life and didn't realize it's there. So I, it's just one of those things where it's like there's a sign on Wilcox pointing to it. There's a lit sign on the garage. We've got a map, um, and we still need to do a lot more. Great, great conversation. It makes me happy to hear more conversation about downtown parking. Some of your ideas for the future. Your questions were spot on, Laura. And the fact that, yeah, people need to know where these places are. Seek them out. But this is great dialogue for the future. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, so Kevin, we also discussed uh, just simple things like A-frames, especially for events, you know, just to the, the frame with an arrow that says parking, pretty simple concept, right? And I get that they can blow over and they have to get put out, but that could offset some of the events uh, like star lighting and things like that. And then, um, and then once the library's done with their parking lot, you know, those offset businesses that are having you know dinner time uh, reservations and in, in attendance, um, you know, I don't know how many people go to the library. At, five, six, seven at night, but uh, I would imagine it'd be less than in the middle of the day with, uh, with younger families. But uh, so I think that, that that will help offset some of, uh, some of the activity down there as well. So just some of the, some of the other things that we talked about uh, during the uh, Alliance meetings and so just my comments. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. Any more questions or comments for DDA, DMA? Thank you. I do have a presentation for the DMA. 
Tw sure. Take it. Well, the other side of the Downtown Alliance is the Downtown Merchants Association. We, we are a nonprofit made up of business owners in downtown Castle Rock. And our, our goal is the same as the DDA. It, it's to promote and encourage an active and vibrant downtown. Um, we, we, we don't think, we, we, we believe that active, vibrant downtowns don't just happen. And, and the Merchants Association certainly takes that on. Um, our main work product is the production of community events. We believe that improves the quality of life of Castle Rock residents and visitors. It helps to generate commerce in downtown, and it helps accomplish the goals laid out in the town's Vision 2030 plan, and I've listed several of those here that we believe the DMA and the events that we produce help to contribute to. Uh, in our service contract for 2023, the current year, um, we contract with the town to produce uh, six events in downtown Castle Rock. Um, historically, we have always tried to go above and beyond that. So when you talk about the value that we provide, um, you provide some partial funding for five or six of our events each year, and we try to really go above and beyond. This year, we are producing 17 events. Um, next year, we are planning to do a very similar lineup. Um, I've listed our total attendance here. We've, we've estimated that. I, I think it's a conservative estimate. We have some data now through Placer AI um, that would show not just who attended those events, but who was in downtown in total. So for Oktoberfest, as an example, we estimate 12,500 people were at the event that day. But I think the Placer AI uh, data showed over 20,000 people in downtown during that day. Um, for every dollar that we receive from the town, the DMA can generate an additional $3 from the private sector. We think that is a tremendous value to the town, that if you had to take these services and provide the same lineup in-house, in provided by the town, um, and you are not receiving that private sector support, um, it would be more expensive for, for the town. Um, here's our marketing that uh, we produced for 2023. We went very vibrant, we went very colorful, very family friendly. Um, I would also list that in addition to events, we do Restaurant Week. It's a social media campaign designed to remind people in the community of all the great places to eat in downtown. We also do, do a, a um, very successful and growing uh, trolley program. Um, so we had record ridership this July, over 493, 493 riders over seven evenings in July. It's an average of 70 uh, riders per night. And we plan to continue that during the holiday season this year as well and continue it next year. And some of that trolley program does help with the parking discussion that we had. We specifically have the trolley pick up in front of the Encore parking garage. And once we have potentially a, a Douglas County Library parking lot, um, we have also historically had the trolley pick up from that li uh, library parking lot and drive people to events, helping to just move people around so that if we've added parking but it's not the most convenient, we can, we can get people where they need to go. Um, hopefully, when you look at this slide, we, we've thrown in a couple of the photos from events this year. Um, you, you see how much the community has supported these events and how much it means to them. Um, and for 2024, we would produce 
Uh, we would propose that we would produce a very similar uh, series of events in downtown. Uh, again, those six core events that we are asking for service contract funding for, but our goal is to add additional activations throughout the year, uh, midweek summer activities, run the trolley rides, the carriage rides, and social media marketing. And again, we're trying to contribute to the goal of community character, improving the quality of life of Castle Rock residents and visitors, and strengthening the downtown business economy. And I'd be happy to answer any questions that you have um, on our service contract uh, request for 2024. Any questions for, for Kevin? Thanks, Kevin. Great, thank you. Moving on to the Castle Rock Economic Development Council. Mayor, Town Council, my name is Frank Gray. Uh, the Tass Rock EDC has been around uh, since 1997, and uh, I have uh, had the pleasure of being its uh, executive director and CEO uh, since 2009 for the past 14 years. Uh, the EDC mission of the Economic Development Council really falls into two main category, uh, primary jobs, and sales tax generation, strong tax base. So I know, I'm glad it was one of the town manager's favorite words because we like to hear that and one of the foundations of town council's uh, pillars uh, for its uh, mission. Um, our job is to actively promote the town's goals of creating a thriving economy in a unique standalone community with long-term sustainability. And really one of the, the major goal of the sales tax generation is for to support town services, fire, police, parks, rec, um, all of the things that we find valuable and that our citizens find valuable, and then looking to create primary jobs for our Castle Rock citizens. Those are some of the really big things. Um, just as a quick overview, um, the EDC provides some key services, which is business retention and expansion, uh, new prospect development, both in primary employers as well as niche and targeted retail, and uh, making sure that we have a great business-friendly environment. So why is primary employment important, it is the driver of the economy. That is what creates new wealth in our community. Widgets come in and, or widgets go out and money comes in and pays those uh, individuals that are making those widgets, whether that's sales, uh, actual physical products or services, and those go back out. And then we are able to pay our employees here in Castle Rock um, and they can go about spending services in our community and then feeding our retail. And so it is a great service Circle. It is our economic engine, and that's why primary employment is really important. Um, the outline of services, one of our main goals is to make sure that when we're attracting new uh, retail or new primary employment is that it's the highest and best use for the ground that we have remaining in Castle Rock. We still have quite a bit of commercial ground uh, available in, this, in the southwest quadrant, so we're excited about that. We have some remaining um, as well in the meadows, but a lot of Castle Rock is starting to fill up, and so we, we want to be really particular about what it is that we want to put in our community here as we get into the later innings of, uh, uh, to use a baseball analogy, of the game here in Castle Rock. Um, so a couple main components uh, supporting Castle Rock's existing primary employers, really important. 70% of our job growth in our community comes from our existing 
uh, primary employers. And it's really important that they have the opportunity to expand. And that's actually one of the threats uh, to our community is that as our small businesses and, and small primary employers expand, they really don't, we don't have the office space for them to expand into. And a lot of surrounding communities, uh, especially north in the tech center, have a lot of vacancy. And so that's a little bit of a threat for us to lose our businesses here in Castle Rock. So we want to actively promote more office space in Castle Rock so that they can fill that up. If you're a building owner in Castle Rock, you're loving it. Um, and then attracting uh, new primary employment. Um, we want to make sure that, especially in this live-work environment and remote uh, work environment, that we are attracting jobs that are sticky, that stay in our economy. Um, we believe that looking at our workforce, knowing that our workforce, 55% uh, of them work in STEM-related fields. Uh, we have been working really closely with the aerospace industry to get those jobs here to Castle Rock. Uh, I'll just finish quickly. Um, we work through our Castle Rock Economic Partnership, which Stacy mentioned, um, and that is really one of the biggest uh, components of what we do at Castle Rock EDC. And then we have also our award-winning uh, partnership. And here you can see that uh, the reason that partnership was established in 1997 was for cost savings, resources, and community engagement with the private sector. And so we still do those things today um, and share lots of the expenses uh, with the private sector of having uh, an economic development group. So the next slide just shows some of the signature projects that we've been involved with, Castle Rock Adventist Health Campus, Comcast Fiber Buildout, the Sturm Collaboration Campus, Promenade, uh, and enlists a whole bunch of primary employers. And more recently, uh, in 2023, uh, we've been working with the Sturm Collaboration Campus to look at their second building uh, focused on the aerospace industry, uh, the headquarters of Infinity Labs, uh, Project Hummingbird, um, the Adventist uh, Cancer uh, Center, uh, MOB number three, as well as Dawson Trails uh, and the Costco project and Castle Rock Industrial in the Meadows, which is now the corporate headquarters of Colorado Power Line Inc. and Lakewood Electric. And I'd be happy to entertain any questions at this time. Questions for Frank? Seeing none, thank you, Frank. All right, thank you. Next, I have Castle Rock Historical Society Museum. Good evening, uh, council, uh, mayor and council. Uh, thank you for giving us four minutes to uh, highlight our efforts here in the town. Um, and we really appreciate your uh, continued support. We really appreciate it because it's so important to the town of Castle Rock. Um, if you don't know, I'm Randy Reed. I happen to be the vice president of the Historical Society. And with me is Angie DeLeo. She's, if you don't know Angie, she's the director of the museum. And if you don't know her, I recommend you go to the museum uh, Wednesday at noon and introduce yourself to her. Um, what I'd like to say first before we get into the slide presentation is that uh, history is of paramount importance to the community. History allows us to understand how societies, cultures, and Castle Rock have evolved over time. It provides insights into the actions, decisions, and events that have shaped Castle Rock as we know it today. 
I refer to Cast Rock always as the three R's, ranching, railroad, and rhyolite. Without history, we would lack a crucial context for comprehending the present, such as the library here in Castle Rock. This last week, they decided to name it Philip and Jesse Miller Library. History plays a pivotal role in shaping Castle Rock's cultural identity. It helps preserve traditions, values, and collective memories that define Castle Rock. Understanding Castle Rock's history can foster a sense of belonging and pride in your community. So now we'll run through the little slide presentation here. What button did I push this one? Okay, there we go. Uh, obviously, uh, we are a nonprofit, and this is our mission statement here. We are 501c3, as you can see. Last year, we celebrated the 25th anniversary of the museum. Your support was instrumental in achieving that milestone for us. It's been our goal to continue, contribute to the understanding and the unique history of this town. We are glad that the town just landmarked the water structures at the camp. Perhaps more can be added in the future. We are currently installing our next ex exhibition in the ranching and its importance to the life of Castle Rock. Our walking tours continue to draw large crowds for walking tours, ghost tours, beginning this week. Our commitment to stay in touch with our community remains steadfast, yet a much expanded way. This has become a month-long annual event. We have been fortunate to partner with the town and downtown merchants to make this fun activity. The scavenger hunt, obviously, is always fun. In July, we opened the third medical office building exhibit at the hospital dedicated to local medical personnel. Dr. Aaron Palmer was a major, a major mayor of, <laughs> you'd think I'd know that, uh, of Castle Rock in 1909 to 1910. The ribbon cutting was done by Dr. Palmer's grandson, Dr. Robert Palmer. The trolley and cemetery tours, if you haven't been on a cemetery tour, I encourage you to do that. And they do, like I said, they do start this week. This is. This has been the T uh, fundraiser, has been one of the most successful fundraising events for the Historical Society. Uh, these, uh, up you're seeing now, this is our uh, funding sources that we have, and uh, it's always been very successful, and we appreciate the town's support in this. Uh, new and potential residents often visit the museum to get a sense of the town. Visitors from over 40 states have come. And I don't know, Angie, many foreign countries even come. Is that not true? If you have any questions, I'm sure Angie would be more than happy to answer those for you at this time. Any questions for Angie? Thanks, Randy. Great. Seeing none. Thank you very much. Thanks. Castle Rock Senior Activity Center. Good evening, Mayor Gray, Town Council, and Mr. Corliss. 
I am Debbie Haney, Executive Director of the Castle Rock Senior Activity Center. We are very proud of our continued partnership with the town of Castle Rock. On this slide, I would like to share some startling data about loneliness and isolation. I will let you read the data for yourself, but I also want to bring attention to the data at the bottom line of the slide. By 2030, the Colorado State Demographic Office predicts that the 65 plus population will rise to 1.27 million, a 77% increase from 2015. Douglas County older adults population is projected to increase 154% by 2050. Douglas County is the fastest growing county of all the counties in Colorado. According to AARP, nearly 90% of older adults over 60 want to remain in their current homes as they grow older. The Castle Rock Senior Activity Center is all about helping older adults age in place, combat loneliness and isolation. We are here to help older adults love life in the second half. Over the past year, our older adults have come back in record numbers. Our membership shot up 8% from 1,100 to 1,200. Our older adults are wanting more activities and participation continues to grow as we add more programs. We've had to move many of our programs to larger rooms in the center and in the rec center, along with adding additional dates and trips to accommodate the demand for these programs. Our numbers continue to rise in every area of services we provide, including transportation, wellness, and food services. As you can see in this slide, our numbers have grown substantially since our pre-pandemic period. Rides are projected to reach over 9,000. Our Meals on Wheels and Connect and Care calls remain a very important connection to our homebound older adults. Our Hot Meal service has continued to grow this year, in part due to the delivery service to low-income senior housing communities funded by the town's CDBG funding. Here is what loving life in the second half looks like. With a staff of six full-time employees and two part-timers, our volunteers are critical to the center. While our num many of our numbers have risen post-pandemic, volunteers have been slow to return. We continue to find ways to recruit, and the need and support of volunteers enables us to service the ever-growing needs of the older adult community. Here is a condensed snapshot of our budget for 2024. We are asking for the same contract mounts for our transportation and senior services. As you can see by the data shared tonight, the senior population of Douglas County is growing at a record pace, and the center continues to provide critical ongoing programs and services to the seniors of Castle Rock. I would also like to ask you, along with the rec center leaders, if there's any additional space that should become available now or in the future to consider allocating some for the growing needs of the Senior Center and our older adults. As always, we want to thank you on Town Council, your staff, along with the Rec Center, IT, and Facilities Department teams for their support given to us every year. We appreciate the partnership with the Town of Castle Rock and look forward to our future together. Thank you, Debbie. Any questions for Debbie or Senior Center? Uh, Max Brooks. All right. Thank you very much. Oh, wait a second. Oh, do you have one? I'm sorry. No, I'm going to hammer you. Um, okay. No, I'm not. <laughs> Hit me. <laughs> um, you know, lots of growth, lots of increases in all the numbers, lots of projected growth over the uh, near future, but no increase in the requested amount. Just wondering if there's a point at which you think that that's going to change or if you're able to stay operational with the amount that you're requesting from the town in the face of all these growth issues. We have been very fortunate this year with funding through grants and our fundraising. So this year we chose not to ask for an increase. 
I, you know, project in the future there might be. Our big thing is space allocation. If we could, you know, we are just busting at the seams. It's being creative with the space that we have. So, so that's great. That's the other question that I have about the space allocation. Obviously, where you're located, mm -hmm. um, you know, you don't necessarily have an area, you know, that you can expand into because you're, you know, abutting the rec center. Uh, so, you know, if there was ideally for you an area of town um, that you would expand into, what what would that be? What area of town do you feel has the most demand? Uh, to make to make the most sense to potentially look at trying to have another space. We love our partnership with the um, rec center. Um, our seniors love to go and work out, and we have that partnership. We also work with the um, child care services. Um, some of our seniors go down there and read to them. They come down to our center and do programs. Um, uh, Halloween tours and things like that. We like our space. We just hope that maybe with the new brickyard and the Cantrail building, some of the programming might move and there might become rooms available in there for us. We're not real sure. That's something we're hoping that the town will look at for us. Great. Thank you. All right. Any thank further you. questions? No. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Next, I had Douglas County Community Foundation. Mayor and Council, wonderful to see you guys. Before I get started, I would just like to thank you on behalf of your citizens for the time and effort it goes into the budget planning process. Uh, I speak from experience in my previous career. I know how much time you guys put into it and how much time staff puts into it, and especially on these budget meetings when you look at the clock and realize how late of a night it's going to be. So thank you guys very much for your dedication. I promised to endeavor to be a buzzer beater, not a buzzer breaker, but uh, for most of you, you know that that will be a challenge for me. So to start with, I'm going to move pretty quick. I wanted to give you guys kind of an update and a report on Douglas County Community foundation and our partnership with you guys I do realize I was the one who did the vertical displays here instead of the horizontal so I will scroll down let me tell you a little bit about DCCF who we are and what we do we operate in basically four vertical segments first off we are here to help the nonprofit community in Douglas County thrive in simple ways the one of the ways we do that is by providing quarterly financial grants to those organizations here in Douglas County and Castle Rock who are nonprofits 501c3s we also operate as a nonprofit consultant Consultancy. In fact, I spend about half of my time working with other nonprofits in Castle Rock and throughout the community on ways that they can be better in serving their mission and ways that they can thrive. Um, several of you know that because I spend copious amounts of money on coffee and uh, cocktails here in Castle Rock because everyone likes to meet here. Um, Third is Douglas County Gives. We represent, uh, we are the community champions for Colorado Gives Day. For those of you who uh, don't know what Colorado Gives Day is, it's one day a year where Colorado Coloradans are encouraged to give where they live. If you think of it as kind of a franchise concept, even though it's not a franchise, we represent all of the nonprofits who participate in Douglas County. So we help increase their reach on that day and raise more funds. And then the fourth area is our community emergency relief 
fund, and that is something that's somewhat new for us as an organization. We put that into place a little over a year ago, and that is a fund. Think of the Boulder fires. Uh, the reality is the Community Foundation for Boulder County, when the fires happened, um, they, to date, have been entrusted with approximately $44 million to help re, uh, reinvigorate and get people back on their feet. Uh, our board of directors got together and said, let's do something a little more proactive and have a fund put in place so that we can partner with the nonprofit organizations in Douglas County who provide emergency services and help fund them in those times, <clears throat> excuse me, of community need. So who are we? This is a big board that we have. I currently have 27 board members. Um, any of you all who serve on boards right now probably grabbed at your gut when I said that, and I'm very fortunate though, because of those 27 board members, including one that I'm kind of circling my little cursor around right here, Mayor Gray, he might even be wearing the same suit jacket tonight, I believe, but um, I, these are the movers and shakers, these are the leaders, these are the people who are entrusted with making Douglas County and our individual communities great. They represent small business owners, large business C-suites, elected officials, and community servants across the board. This is what allows me as the sole employee of Douglas County Community Foundation to help our members and nonprofit organizations thrive. I've got a deep bench, to use another baseball reference from earlier, I've got a deep bench that I get to go to whenever I need. Now, here's the nuts and bolts, and this is what's been updated today compared to the original one that I sent you guys earlier. Um, since our reboot, and I've been on board now, with DCCF for just over two years, so I came on board with that reboot. We have given out $606,400 in community grants to nonprofit organizations. We've given out 153 of those, uh, 153 grants in this time period. Just want to say that is more than the entire 16 years prior combined for Douglas County Community Foundation. That's a cool thing to say, but the reality is we should have a couple more zeros after that dollar amount, and that's what we're working towards, and that's what your partnership allows us to handle. Um, we've uh, helped nonprofits with Colorado Gives Day raise over $2.9 million. There's that buzzer, and I broke it. I broke my promise right out of the gate. Um, and last but not least, we have raised to date $263,000 for our Community Emergency Relief Fund. We are just now launching a 10-year, $10 million campaign to build that fund up. So our partnership update, uh, your partnership with us earlier in this year and our proposed partnership going into next year is for the same dollar amount, and that's to help us offset the administrative costs of running DCCF so that we can put the maximum amount of funds raised back into the hands of our nonprofit partners. Um, we work with, uh, uh, with local businesses and private donors to be able to do that. We manage also several uh, private funds for granting as well. So the result has been that we've been able to turn the investment of our partners like yours into a huge success in promoting philanthropy in our communities. You can never have too many nonprofits and uh, we're here to help them all thrive. So. With my over 20 seconds, I'm here to answer any other questions you may have. Questions from Michael? Max Brooks? Uh, just a quick comment because it wasn't brought up in your presentation, but if uh, if anybody around Douglas County has noticed the signs, the handouts don't help, uh, I believe that that's probably something that uh, is worse if you wouldn't mind recapping Absolutely. so you understand what the Community Foundation's sure. role is uh, in assisting with homelessness. And, and also, I think it's important to ensure that you talk about what percentage goes to overhead. 
Sure. So the Douglas Has Heart Fund, which is a donor advised fund that we hold on behalf of Douglas County, um, is where the handouts don't help money goes to. In basic terms, it's to discourage handing money to panhandlers and to encourage people to embrace philanthropy and help fight some of the homeless challenge challenges that we have. Uh, we do not keep a nickel of the monies that are raised from that fund, and in fact, we don't charge any management fees for our funds that we manage. 100% of those go back out for cause. That is because of the gracious support and partnership with organizations like yours that help offset our administrative costs. I will throw one little quick story if I can, because this is um, somewhat related to Castle Rock. I, I'm not allowed to say names because that is a HIPAA violation, but when we started the, uh, the partnership with Douglas County and the Douglas Has Heart Fund, the whole idea is, that, is simply this. There are six organizations that the county has designated that work with homelessness in Douglas County and in Castle Rock specifically. Specifically. And every time, as soon as the fund reaches $2,500, that quarter we automatically generate a payout to that next organization. We just roll through all six of them. Um, and it just, it just rolls. Well, not last quarter, but the quarter before, most of our donations come in at $10, $25 online. I received a $100 donation, which is not an uncommon thing. And then the next day I received an email. And the email I received was from a woman who was homeless in Castle Rock, and the Hart team helped her get back on her feet, and she took $100 from her first paycheck and donated it to back to the fund. That's real world. That's how it's happening. That's how we're helping to have an impact on those around us. So that's a great story to share. Absolutely. Anything else for Michael? Thank you, Michael. All right. Thank you. Douglas County Housing Partnership. Is someone online? Okay. there. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Thank you, Maria. Okay. Thanks. Um, hi, everyone. Thanks for having us um, back here tonight. My name is Maria Chano. I am the executive director of the Douglas County Housing Partnership. Um, I'm going to cover today, you can go to the next slide, a little bit about the Douglas County Housing Partnership, talk about some of our um, 2020 to activity, um, cover our various programs, and talk a little bit about some upcoming initiatives. Go ahead. Okay, so um, at DCHP, our mission is to achieve economically thriving communities through preserving, providing, and developing housing choices throughout Douglas County. Some of the programs that we offer include budget and credit improvement, counseling, new homebuyer um, counseling services, and homebuyer education classes. Um, we provide foreclosure mitigation, counseling services, um, home equity conversion mortgages for older adults, so reverse mortgages. Um, we have a home ownership program that provides down payment assistance, and um, uh, we also provide income-aligned rental housing and are active in housing development and partnerships throughout the community. 
for our home buyer education and counseling. Um, we have uh, provided counseling to over 4,000 households since 2004. Um, and in 2022, we provided 483 um, education and counseling sessions and 65 of those attendees in 2022 were from the town of Castle Rock. So this is an important um, housing opportunity um, service that we offer. Next slide. Our foreclosure mitigation and counseling is, is so important to provide stability for folks that are in their home and make sure that they're able to stay there. So from uh, 2002 to 2022, um, we have provided foreclosure mitigation counseling to almost 3,000 households. In 2022, we provided um, foreclosure mitigation for 104 households. Um, notably, so far in 2023, we've already provided um, foreclosure mitigation counseling to 15 households specifically from the, the town of Castle Rock. Our HECM counseling um, is uh, consistently a um, big program for older adults looking to access some of the equity in their home um, to use for whatever purpose they choose. Um, from 2013 to 2022, we provided over 1,500 counseling services. In 2022, we provided 336 um, counseling sessions with 14 of those from the town of Castle Rock. Our housing development and partnerships is um, is something that we continue to focus on. Um, partnering with private developers to bring more affordable housing opportunity, um, income aligned housing, and so on. So we're involved in. Um, thousands of units right now, um, 1,827 that are currently existing and offer housing to people throughout the county. And then we're also involved in over 600 additional affordable units that are in construction um, or coming soon. And in this, this photograph right here is inside of Oakwood Senior Apartments, which is in Castle Rock and is owned and operated by uh, Douglas County Housing Partnership and is um, housing for people who are um, 55 and above or people with disabilities. Just a few highlights on some of our upcoming um, housing development partnerships. Um, so we're working on um, development for older adults in Ridgegate um, that's going to bring over 100 units to um, Parkway and Peoria, and we're going to be in partnership with Coble & Company. We're also working on the uh, Sophia Senior Apartments, another uh, 55 and over community, um, where we will be a special limited partner in, um, for over 158 units there. Um, and uh, we are uh, working with Wellspring um, in partnership for the Unity on Park Street development, which is um, 42 units of neuro-inclusive, affordable um, housing and um, with a specific focus on um, providing independent living programs for people with intellectual and developmental uh, disabilities. And this is the conversion of the La Quinta Inn. Um, I added just a couple photos um, in the next slide so you can take a look at some of these up and coming so we can breeze through those. I know I have my, I can't see my clock, but I know I'm, I'm running it down. So um, the Meadowmark Apartments is also in Castle Rock. Um, 
and uh, so feel free to take a look through those photos. I wanted to share some of our upcoming um, initiatives and, and, and new things that we're working on this year. Um, so in 2023, DCHP took on a rental assistance program um, through the state of Colorado, where we're able to provide about 75 um, rental assistance vouchers to residents who are already living in Douglas County. Um, previously, those folks would have to travel sometimes as far as Broomfield to um, access their benefits. Now they're able to access those benefits close to home um, through our office. Um, we're also executing the um, Colorado DOLA transformational housing grants. And that is um, the couple I'll, I'll try and give a quick review of that. But essentially what um, uh, Mike was talking about with the HEART team and making sure that we're working together with nonprofits and the government to try to um, make sure that uh, folks who are experiencing homelessness are able to be housed and stable as quickly as possible. This transform um, transformational housing grant allows um, the DCHP to provide housing navigation um, to folks who are uh, close to homelessness or currently experiencing experiencing homelessness, connect them to services, case, case management, and so on. Um, so we're excited about that program, and that begins um, uh, this year, actually in quarter four. Um, we also have uh, been awarded a grant through Enterprise Community Partners, um, to, and we are part of the preservation cohort, which focuses on finding naturally um, occurring affordable housing. Maria, I'm, I'm sorry. And you have to wrap up. Sorry, Maria. Oh, my, thank you. Thank you for letting me know. I, I, I can't see that nice clock. Um, and uh, working on housing needs assessment proposition tw uh, 123 and so much more. Um, so I want to thank you all um, for allowing us to be here and for your um, continued funding support. And I'm happy to answer any questions or um, talk in, in more detail if anybody would like. Thank you, Maria. Any more questions for Maria? Thanks, Maria. I appreciate it. Okay. Thanks again. Have a good night. Next, I have Douglas County Youth Initiative. I'm going to take that one real quick. Okay. I'm going to say a few words, and then we're going to have Shannon show a little video. Uh, Douglas County Youth, Youth Initiative, I am the liaison for that. Great group of young leaders that take advantage of the programs. Uh, Marshall Alston, the program director, could not be here. I enjoy it. They did have Youth Congress at the Capitol Building today. They do have uh, a, an incredible mental wellness initiative they're taking on. I sit on that with Commissioner Layden. They do work on the wraparound services and the outstanding youth awards are gonna be coming up again. So they really do, this is a partnership with many communities, just not Castle Rock. So Shannon, with that, just go ahead and show the video. I think it will explain it all. It's an honor to watch young leaders, let me tell you. There's one simple hearing hack anyone can use to improve their hearing almost overnight. Did you know just a few years ago. It affects dropout rates and relationships, almost every aspect of our society. So they need all the help that we can give them. And that's just what a lot of people in Douglas County want to do. In fact, a bunch of leaders got together to help fund and support something they're calling the Douglas County Youth Initiative. 
It will help our kids be the best that they can be with events like the Youth Congress, where our future leaders get hands-on experience sharing their viewpoints, working on solutions, and having their voices heard. Their most recent success was creating a uniform county curfew instead of a county-wide mixture of inconsistent rules. If you've ever tried to change a law, you know how big an accomplishment that was. Kids today are making healthier choices. They're staying in school and giving back to the community. Those kids deserve to be recognized every bit as much as our athletes and valedictorians. And they are. One award winner raised his grade point average from a .6 to a 3.2. And another winner went from being constantly picked up by the police to joining them in their Douglas County Sheriff's Explorers program. Those are just two Douglas County teens who deserve our recognition. And there's a lot more, because there's a lot more help coming from the county's largest program called Wraparound. It literally wraps services around hundreds of Douglas County families with children ages 5 to 21 and helps move them forward. They develop a plan and follow through, because when a kid succeeds, everyone involved succeeds. That's why the Youth Initiative is a community effort to teach, reward, unite, and help Douglas County families. Because it isn't easy being a kid, but the Youth Initiative helps make it a little bit easier. The Douglas County Youth Initiative, helping kids change their lives and the lives of others. For more about the Youth Initiative, call 303-688-4825, extension 5327. Thank you. Any questions for Councilmember Dietz regarding this? No questions. Thanks, Shannon. I have no one signed to speak on a subject. If anyone would like to speak on a subject, please go to the podium, speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature and phone and call to press star three and state your name, whether you are resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Uh, Mayor, I would like to just wonder, but you see the, those are the dollar amounts, and then the next slide, uh, Shannon, then just gives the proposed motion. If that's the direction that you all want to proceed with, that's the proposed motion, and then alternate motions there. I move to direct the town manager to execute the 2024 service contracts with the service organizations for the funding amounts as requested. Second. First by Councilmember LaFleur, second by Councilmember Dietz. Um, for discussion, I'd like to speak in favor of the motion. Um, I'm either a part of or have been a part of most of these organizations at one time or another, um, and they do a, such a fantastic job. Um, we don't always agree with every single event or everything they do, but the, the plain fact of it is is that without these gr groups as well as volunteers, um, this, we, the town itself couldn't do them. Um, and so uh, my hat's off to everybody in this room for helping out and your dedication uh, to all these different uh, nonprofits. So it's, it means a lot to us. It um, doesn't matter uh, what the nonprofit is, but we can, we, can, we can see it all the way from our seniors down to our youth initiative. It's, it's a big deal, so I do appreciate it. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. 
Councilmember Deeds? Yes. Mayor Potem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Moving on to number 11, resolution 2023-121, resolution approving the 2024 water conservation rebate incentive program. Mark Marlow. Thank you, Mayor and Council. Um, this is an exciting item for me. I, I always think of this because water conservation is a water supply and it's the water supply that we have complete control over. So that's very exciting to me because having control over a water supply is a rare thing in this day and age. Um, I'm just gonna go over really the main change that we're recommending to the rebate program. We would like to go from $1.50 per square foot for the removal of grass, replacing that with Colorado Scape, to $2.50 per square foot. That is consistent with the good response we got in the community survey that many more people might take an interest in converting to Colorado Scape if we were able to increase these rebates to those amounts. I do wanna assure you that we did a review of that number to make sure that that number still provides us with a competitive water supply, meaning that it is still competitive with purchasing new water from outside the community. And again, I'll remind you, this water supply is in our control, so it's very exciting. We get the savings, um, we get that water supply back at the time the person does the project, and the community is partnering with us. That's what makes it even more exciting. I did wanna note one other thing that we're gonna change this year. Um, we are going to eliminate the requirement for folks to pass the or take the water wiser class to get access to the rebates. And we think that that will give many more people access to this and an interest in this because they won't have to take that class to qualify for the rebates. Um, we wanna try that this year and see how that goes. I will say it's been exciting because from 2022 to 2023, we've seen almost a doubling in the amount of funding um, that has been used for the Colorado Scape rebates. So people are really getting engaged and doing this on a bigger and bigger basis. Um, so that's very exciting for us. I think with this additional incentive, we're gonna see even more of that. Um, and that's a great thing. Um, we're keeping these other two rebates um, or recommending that we keep these other two rebates. They're going fairly well as well. Um, again, this is just a reminder what Colorado Scape is, kind of what we're going for and hope to see people do. We are recommending an increase in the overall funding for Colorado Scape or for the rebate program to 300,000 in 2024. Um, we actually have spent about 240,000 this year. Now 40,000 of that was extra money we got from the state of Colorado through the grant process and through that uh, law that was passed by Colorado uh, the year before in terms of funding Colorado Scape statewide. So we were able to get 40,000. We're looking to get another 25,000 in the coming year. Um, Again, uh, this is where the money's been spent. So you can see there's a focus on Colorado Scape, which is great because that's where we see the most benefit. Um, this is how we're gonna do outreach on the rebates. Um, we all also, of course, will work with, um, with uh, Melissa on a news release. 
Um, and we took to the, to the commission. They recommended approval and staff recommends approval. And I'm happy to answer questions. Any questions for Mark Marlowe? Seeing none, thank you, Mark. Uh, no one's time to speak. If anyone wishes to speak on this subject, please approach the podium speaking the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone and callers can press star three and just please state your name and whether you are a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, move back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. I move to approve resolution number 2023-121 as introduced by title. Second. Our first right does with the floor, second by Laura Cavey. Uh, any more discussion? I just like to say I'm still bitter about changing my, my yard to a Colorado escape seven years ago and not seeing a dime. Uh, <laughs> so, but you know, I digress. <laughs> I know. I feel your pain, Mr. <laughs> Mayor. I didn't get a dime either. <laughs> with that, we have a roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cavey? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember D? Yes. Mayor Patim Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Aye. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you, Mark. Moving on to uh, number 12 in the agenda, Ordinance 2023-24, Ordinance Amending Title IX of the Castle Principal Code by the addition of uh, Chapter 9.08, sorry, 9.06, entitled Offenses uh, Related to the, the Morals. Uh, Mike Hyman. Thank you, Mayor, members of the Town Council. As you can see, we're going to be discussing the proposed ordinance that you requested on uh, public indecency, indecent exposure, and public nudity. First page. So that happened on September 19th. We were directed to prepare an amendment to Title IX of Town Code. Uh, and so the amendment will make public indecency, indecent exposure, and public nudity municipal level offenses. Uh, so uh, tonight is October 3rd, and we have the amendment placed on the agenda for introduction. Uh, so without further ado, next page. Uh, public indecency. Uh, what we're doing is making it a municipal offense to perform acts of public indecency in a public place or where the conduct may reasonably be expected to be viewed by the members of the public. Uh, as a reminder, this ordinance will directly correspond to the state statute on public indecency without any substantive changes. Next up, indecent exposure. Uh, this will be uh, uh, knowingly exposing one's genitals to the view of another or performing an act of masturbation uh, to cause affront or alarm to another person. Uh, again, we're directly corresponding to the state indecent exposure law with one substantive change. And as a reminder, we are preempted from uh, encroaching upon felony categories as a homeroom municipality. That really is the purview of the state. So we are not going to do the felony enhancement provision uh, if that indecent exposure is committed in view of a child under the age of 15. We're going to let the uh, our friends at the uh, uh, Douglas County District Court and DA's office handle those offenses where they should be so that they can get punished and be punished as felonies as opposed to municipal offenses. Next up, public nudity. Uh, this is an ordinance that will make it an offense to knowingly or intentionally appear in a state of nudity in a public place. Now, a state of nudity means the showing of the post 
human genitals, pubic region, buttocks, or anus with less than the fully opaque covering. It will also include the exposure of any device, costume, or covering that gives the appearance of or simulates these parts of the body. And you note, these are the lower regions. Uh, we have been preempted by the Tenth Circuit from addressing uh, uh, nudity above the waist unless we treat men and women the same way. Our recommendation is just to go ahead and address the lower regions, uh, like our uh, fellow municipalities in Parker and Fort Collins have. Uh, we feel that's the most easily enforceable uh, 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 thing we can do. So uh, that is basically a summation of what we're doing. We have some proposed motions for you to consider. Our recommendation is to uh, approve the ordinance. Uh, I'm happy to answer any other questions you may have. We do have some public comment. Do we have any questions for Michael or staff before we move forward? Seeing none, um, Dana Bonham. How's that? Okay, at the analysis meeting um, with the uh, BOCC, the Commissioner Layden said um, that he wanted what was good for the community, and that is what we want. We want what is good for the community. Drag queen shows for kids are not good for the community. Um, I recall a Corey Ten Boom story. Uh, she wrote The Hiding Place. And she was taking a train ride with her dad. And she was recalling that she had heard the word sex before. And it referred to male and female. She knew that. And she'd heard the word sin before. And she knew that that was when she had done something wrong from her aunt. But putting them together, she had asked her dad on the train ride one day, what is sex sin? And instead of answering her, he waited until the train ride had ended. And he took his bag from up above from the rack and he put it on the floor and he said, Corey, you take this off the train. It was full of his watchmaking stuff and his tools and she tried to lift it and she said, I can't, it's too heavy. And he said, he looked at me and he said, as he always did when answering a question, he said, of course it's too heavy. And it would be a pretty poor father who would ask his little girl to carry such a load. It is the same way, Corey, with knowledge. Some knowledge is too heavy for children. When you are older and stronger, you can bear it. But for now, you must trust me to carry it for you. And I would say that um, we are asking our children to carry loads that are way too heavy. These topics, the drag queen show, the whole premise of the drag queen show is too heavy for a lot of adults to really think about and contemplate, let alone young children. 
So I'm asking you to um, consider that, consider age limits for shows like this. I think it should be only a show for 18 and over. The agenda for the group is to indoctrinate our kids with porn in our libraries. Our children are seeing porn and to celebrate dysphoria in their lifestyles, calling it entertainment. It's not entertainment. It's not okay. And these events are too heavy for our children. It's a form of child abuse. So I would ask that you would set limits um, on these shows. I would ask that you look carefully at this, the offenses related to morals. Oh, interesting phrase. Do we have any morals? Shouldn't our community programs, the ones that are performed at our tax payer facilities, shouldn't they reflect morality for our young children, for the ones who are most vulnerable? We need courageous leadership to stand up to the agenda that is after our children, after their innocence, coming for their, inner, their innocence. And we need to stand up to protect our community's children. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. Next, I have Amy Wendy. Good evening. Um, first, I want to thank the entire um, town council as well as the mayor for being patient throughout these past three months to debate this, the amendments to the Title IX ordinance. I think that's healthy in a republic and in a democracy to debate it so that y'all get it right. And so I want to sincerely thank each of you for doing that. Um, and I also want to thank each of you for taking the decision to approve the measure this evening. Um, while some may think that this is directed directly at the LGBTQ community and or the drag theater, um, I would like to state from my perspective it is not. This is about protecting the culture of our community. It is about protecting the innocence of children. I don't care if you're a stripper, in a heterosexual, homosexual, I don't care. Doesn't belong around kids. It's really that simple. This may have started out because of the all ages drag show, but I think it applies to all genders and sexes in our society. And this has touched me very deeply. This is one of the main reasons I speak out, is because of our children. They deserve to be and stay innocent. So I want to thank you all for that. So thank you once again for approving this measure to help keep the cultural values of our town and our community. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. I have no one else time to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium and speak in the microphone. Online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone and callers express star three and state your name if you're a resident, non-resident, or a business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a possible motion and discussion. Mayor, I move to approve ordinance number 2023-024 as introduced by title. Second. I have a first by Councilmember LaFleur, second by Councilmember Cavey. Um, any further discussion? 
I'd like to, to, to say real quick, I know this has been a long time, a few months now. I want to thank the town staff and our attorney's department on, on drafting this and all the help we've had over the last few months and all the uh, public uh, comments and support and people who spoke out for and against and everything. But I think that uh, hopefully we did had a nice compromise and I do appreciate it again. Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yes. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. We have number 13 um, on the agenda, ordinance 2023-25, ordinance amending section 2.02.040C of the Castle Rock Municipal Code regarding protocol for regular meetings of town council. Dave Corliss. Council, we can wait a few minutes on this if you want, but um, um, at your last meeting, um, you directed us to prepare an ordinance that would change uh, provisions in the, the town code uh, concerning the uh, continuation of, uh, of meetings, as you know. Town code currently provides that uh, meetings run until 9.30, um, unless they're concluded earlier, like this evening, um, at which time then a majority vote can extend it to 10 o'clock and then a unanimous vote has to go after 10 o'clock. You directed us to remove that um, unanimous requirement um, after 10 o'clock. So now the, the code will provide that the meetings conclude at 9.30, but can be extended by a majority vote of the council members present. And it removes that a unanimous requirement for extending it beyond 10 o'clock. The way that I interpret that, and Mike and I have talked a little bit about it, is, is that that means that at, at 9.30 you can extend it to a, a time certain, or you can say until the last remaining agenda item is completed or until the last two agenda items are, are completed. Um, you may want to set a certain time. You might want to just say, well, doesn't we don't know if it's going to take 15 minutes or 20 minutes. Let's just run it through. You all will decide that at 9.30 by a majority vote. That's what this ordinance does. Be happy to respond to any questions. Laura Cavey. Could we also say something like, I think obviously the impetus for this was people that were still here and waiting to speak and then weren't able to, would we be able to say something also as well as at 9.30, we're extending the meeting until everybody has had a chance to speak. Absolutely, majority rules. Okay, thank you. Any other questions for, for Dave or anybody else? Seeing none, I do have one person to speak, Dana. Thanks again. It's related to this, but a little bit different because um, I'm looking at it from someone who signed up at that meeting um, that was abruptly terminated, and I signed up before 1 o'clock p.m., as your website says. So would you mind also take would you mind taking a look at your town council meetings webpage and maybe redoing some of that if that is no longer um, recommended for people to do? It says, speaking before council, um, if you'd like to address council on, on matters, then the first bullet is please sign up to speak. That's underlined by 1 p.m. prior to the meeting, not required. 
but it doesn't say you won't be called on because nobody ever shows up, which is what I was told. So if, if you could just rework maybe some of the, the website there and say it's recommended that you sign up in person or something like that, I think it would be helpful for people on the outside who have never done that before. Thank you. Thank you, Dana. I have no one else in to speak. If someone wishes to speak, please approach the podium. And speaking to the microphone, online users may use the raise your hand feature. And phone and callers can press star three and set your name, whether you're a resident, non-resident, or business owner. You have four minutes to speak. Seeing none, we'll bring it back to town council for a proposed motion and discussion. I move to approve the ordinance as introduced by title on first reading. Second. I have a first by Councilmember Dietz, a second by Councilmember LaFleur. Any further discussion? Laura Cavey? Go ahead, Laura Cavey. I personally think this is the right direction to go. As I've stated at every single meeting, I work for you. I work two nights a month where I would have to stay late. I'm not saying that's all I do for the community. But in my opinion, it is our job to stay here and listen to every single person that wants to speak, regardless of how long it takes. That's what happens when you get, when you're an elected official. We're here to listen to our community. We're here to listen to our residents. I think this is a, a, a great step forward in allowing everybody in this community to have a voice. So I appreciate it very much. Any further discussion? Mayor Pro Tem Bracken. Yeah, I do, I do like the flexibility that we can set the guardrails around the meeting if we need to um, or extend it to, um, you know, to be flexible. So I, uh, I, think, it, I think it improves what, what was probably already in place and, uh, and I appreciate the, uh, the nudge to, uh, to get it done, so. Great, any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead? Aye. Councilmember Cave? Yes. Councilmember LaFleur? Aye. Councilmember Brooks? Aye. Councilmember Dietz? Yes. Mayor Portem Bracken? Yes. Mayor Gray? Yes. Motion passes unanimously. Thank you. Time is now 9.07. I'll set the motion to adjourn the meeting. Second. The first by Mayor Portem Bracken, second by Councilmember Cavey. Any further discussion? Roll call vote, please. Councilmember Hollingshead. Aye. Councilmember Cavey. Yes. Councilmember LaFleur. Aye. Councilmember Brooks. Aye. Councilmember Dietz. Yes. Mayor Bertem Bracken. Sure. Mayor Gray. Yes. Motion passes. Thank you. Nice work tonight, guys. We are adjourned. I'm going to put it on.